that I is for jerks. My name is Cass. And I am Alex. And this month we are talking about Revolutionary Girl Utena, directed by Kunihiko Iguhara. And we are also talking about Adolescence of Utena, which is also directed by uh, Kunihiko Iguhara. Well, to be more precise, the second half of yes. uh, Utena. We watched the first half last month, and we already have our podcast up for that yeah. on anime.gripe. So listen to that before so you don't get any any spooky don't, spoilers. Don't spoilers. So yeah, so we're talking about <laughs> episodes 24 through 39 this time, which is the Akio Otori saga and the Apocalypse saga. Uh and then we're also going to talk about the movie. So, Alex, now that you've seen all of the Utena content that exists, apart from the musicals, uh, what do you think about Utena? Uh, trying to figure out the largest sigh in the universe. So I, okay, so uh, you suggested this show. Uh, I did. You inten- actually even intentionally suggested the show specifically to punish me for making you watch Penguin Highway. And the tables are fucking turned. Yeah, you absolutely fucking hoisted. Absolutely uh, hoisted. Because I, I fucking loved this show. And the movie, I wasn't crazy about the movie in particular. The last 20 minutes are weird and I, I um, it, it kind of amazing, but... Uh, and not, the, not particularly essential. Uh, funny you should bring show... up Penguin Highway because if you if you missed that episode, I absolutely loathed Penguin Highway, um, and like the funny thing was, I had this incredibly visceral negative reaction to it, but it took a while to kind of like put into words what pissed me off about it, and I had the same and I had this, a, a similar feeling with Adolescent Lieutenant. Like afterwards, I was like, why did I hate that so fucking much? And it took me a while to try and like parse that out it's not great like i'm not particular. like i didn't have a, a strong negative reaction to adolescence of utena uh but i certainly i, I part of me wants to say just watch the last 20 minutes uh if you if you're gonna watch it but also the last 20 minutes don't hit as hard unless you've seen the hour that comes before okay, them because... see, okay see here's the thing here's the thing i i think the reverse is true actually and this is true of for me in my experience for both the, like this the second half of the show and the movie is that like Stuff happens at the end, but by then I'm so fucking sick of it that I don't care. That I just cannot bring myself. Oh yeah, I was totally, I was like totally done with the movie by the time that the weird shit at the end happened, <laughs> yeah. and then the fucking car wash appeared, and I was like, "What the fuck? What the fuck? What the fuck is happening?" <laughs> See, like you said, you said earlier that like you mentioned that you knew like the cars happened, but it, but it still managed to you by surprise. It, it like I, I didn't. I expected. I was just it, like, oh, I was just like, oh, probably because I. It's probably come I, the cars. It's probably because I told you in advance possibly, that there was possibly. no lead in. Yeah. Like, like because I was expecting it to make sense at least in some weird fucked up way. It doesn't. Yeah. It doesn't even make sense in like a weird. Okay, we'll get to that. We'll talk and, about and, Adolescence yeah. of Utena later. And, and to be clear, like I didn't hate the last two episodes of Utena. Like they're fine, um, but. We'll get, yeah, but anyway, let's 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 get more organized. All right. Take. Uh, so the first the first episode that we watched is the Secret Nanami Diary, which is just a recap episode, basically. Um, mm. It is a specifically Nanami focused recap episode. It's so funny how Nanami is kind of like the most present minor character. Oh yeah. Like whenever they need like filler or anything, it's just like <laughs> roll out Nanami. 
I mean, she's like the most. I, I don't know if she's the most interesting minor character, but she's definitely the character that's easiest to write a plot about because, she, like, yeah, she's she's far from the most interesting. She's just the yeah. most like like the most kind of outlandish caricature. So it's yeah, just the most it's, easy yeah. to just kind of make gag yeah. uh, sequences for. Yeah, it's easy to do comedy with her. Uh, so we won't really focus too too much on that. Um, and we get to talk about episode 25, uh, which is sort of the beginning of, of the Akio Tori saga, where Utena and Anthe move into Akio's house, uh, which is this big tower in the middle of uh, the, the school campus. Yeah. Um, and we get uh, the, the sort of recurring visual motif of these episodes, which is Akio taking the various duelists on late night rides in his, <laughs> his car. In so, his sports car. In his sports car. So he has a sports car with a vanity license plate that says Otori. And he, he, it's like him and Toga and then like whoever, whoever, uh, He's trying to convince to duel Utena, like sitting in the back seat, and he like says they like say some like vague stuff to them and like convince them that like this is gonna give them what they want. And then while their shirts gradually become more and more unbuttoned, and then Akio just does like a front flip over the windshield of the sports car and like ghost rides his car while like lounging on the hood with his shirt open. And I so well, the other day Well ghost riding I, is technically like dancing around the car while it's idling forward, right? I don't. I actually don't know if sitting on the hood while the car goes forward is is con- constitutes ghost riding. Yeah. Um, if you, if you know, email us. I'm not a yeah. Email us. I don't <laughs> know enough about ghost riding. And uh, at gmail dot com. Yeah. Um. So I was reading. Uh. So there's. The, I, I I am in great debt to the website otori.nu. Uh. Which is a like twenty year old fan website dedicated to Utena, um, and it has this section on it that is just a ton of uh, interviews, and I'll be linking to a bunch of them as we as we refer to them. And so, from one of the director's commentaries, I think it's the director's commentary in episode thirty seven. It's the director's commentary from uh, Chihiro Saito who was the artist and writer who did the manga, and Kunihiko Ukahara, who's the director of the anime, and then Hideki Mori, who is just basically acting as a moderator. Um, And Shihiro Saito is basically, like, when I first saw, when I, like, when I first saw the the Akio car come out with Akio sort of riding the hood, I seriously asked Mr. Ikuhara to explain what it was about. He said, quote, I wanted to express that he was an adult. I was like, What? And then Kurihiko Ikohara says, I explained to her that an adult rides the hood of a car with his top half naked. And then uh, Chihiro says, yes, and he continues to tell me that he's very rich, so he owns a red car. I was like, what? <laughs> it's, it's, yeah, Ikohara gives Ikuhara no shits. Ha- he has an enormous brain, and he does not care. <laughs> Oh god! Yeah, just read the read, read Ikuhara's interviews. That- yeah, they're all so fucking good. Um, so yeah, so the when I first watched episode twenty five, I fucking loved it because the soundtrack changes dramatically in this in this arc and in the subsequent arc and becomes like way more jazzy and like there's like jazz breakbeats and stuff. It's like it's they dialed in the soundtrack of the show specifically to appeal to me, <laughs> um, which is that it's all just like jazz breakbeat stuff it's there's a lot of horns and like there's jazz flute at one point it's so fucking good 
<laughs> um, and and it, it, it and so I was just like blown away by this episode because it had been like a little bit since I last watched Atena when I started watching the uh, the show, and so I forgot that what they do is in every arc they introduce something weird and cool, and then they make it not weird and cool anymore by doing it over and over again until you're sick of it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, and that's why I like the last arc of this show so much, is because the last arc of the show doesn't do that. It's every episode is different. Um, that, yeah, that's one thing I can, that's one thing I can say about it. Um, yeah, the uh, only like it's yeah the only interest other interesting thing about twenty five um, was bringing back stuff about or reintroducing the whole coffin. Yeah, backstory. So I didn't. I realized our, um, after we recorded our first. Uh, episode for the first half of the show that we never actually really talked about episode nine, which is when we first um, kind of get Utena's tragic childhood. Uh, partly oh, I because didn't, I didn't realize that even happened in, I, in episode nine. I think somehow, like my brain misfired, and for some reason in episode nine, when um, when Tuga and Sayanji reminisce about. Um, seeing the the funeral and finding the girl in the coffin, for some reason I thought it was Anthe in the coffin. Oh, I, yeah, I don't know why. It's obviously not. Her hair is pink, um, and so that might be why. Is, like these people have all like every single major character in the show because it's an anime has like some incredibly obvious like personal yeah, character yeah, yeah. trait no, I know. that makes it impossible. <laughs> no, I, 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 that makes it impossible to tell to like not know who they are and these people are just like it's like Sanji and Toga are just like could that girl in the coffin have been Utena and it's like how many fucking girls do you know that have bright pink hair all hey, the time end of adolescence I think we found quite a few there in the in the control room <laughs> anyway okay. Anyway, uh, so you know, it's like, like, how do you? And it's the same thing with, like, with, like, you clearly remember that your prince had dark skin. There are two people with dark skin in the entire universe in this show, and one of them's a girl. You know who your prince is. <laughs> uh, but yeah, so so what we learned kind of obliquely in episode nine and what is what is kind of reminded of in 25 is that uh we know jenna's mother and father died um and because in, in the little kind of fairy tale opening sequence like there was a girl who's she was very sad for her mother and father had died and the prince came and said lift up your heart um and so her, her parents died and at the funeral um she basically decided that there was nothing left for her and so she curled up in a coffin a conveniently present third coffin <laughs> and was like this is, this is where i live now it's cheaper to buy in bulk <laughs> god and so uh like toga tries to convince her to get out and she and says, i will say it's the biggest fucking mood of all time <laughs> so oh, no 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 yeah yeah uh and they can't convince her so they're like whatever which is like peak tuga uh and and bail and then and then yeah then it turns out that our our unknown mysterious prince um found her and showed her something eternal we'll get there we'll get to that um which like restored her faith in living something gave her a reason to live i think is probably the more the more accurate way of phrasing that 
uh, given given what it is that he showed her. Uh, oh right, I almost forgot that part. Um, <laughs> so uh, so yeah, so in episode twenty five, it's Sionji who they convince because every mm, season, every arc of the show is a no, it's twenty five. Uh, uh, wait. Oh, oh, you said Sayanji. I thought you said Miki. Yeah. No, uh, said Sayanji. They don't, well, even, they don't even sound similar. I know. I was reading my notes and my brain crossed wires. Um, yeah, so Sayanji, uh, because every single arc of the show is exactly the same, uh, they mm-hmm. have to fight Sayanji first. Um, <laughs> and so uh, you might be wondering, what could they possibly use to motivate him to fight again? Well, in the student council arc, he fought... I've already forgotten why he fought. In the Black Rose arc, which is the only arc I care about, um, he fought to kind of preserve his um, his idealized memory of the past and his like his friendship with, with Tuga, etc., etc. And in the Akio arc, they fight for not the kind of idealized past, but the kind of um, imaginary future, I guess. And so, this is this is going to be an interesting point of contrast because for me, I find the black I find the Black Rose arc insanely boring and care about the rest of the show much more. Um, <laughs> well, because twenty two and twenty three are the only episodes I like yeah. in the whole show. <laughs> um, but yes, yeah, so she fights Sionji, uh and naturally wins. And sort of the big change in this arc is that she no longer receives this sort of dios during the fights anymore. Now she mm. has she has she has inner strength that she she yeah. she gets from from. Anthe bond with fond- fondle- from and Anthe fondling her boobs. <laughs> um, Is that what like, the kids call it these days? Like, inner strength. Okay, like, inner strength, yeah. Like, so it's like mildly erotic in the show, and in the movie, it is like so full, insanely it is like horny, full on titty grabbing. I was expecting because, like, so I, I read before I watched the movie, I read an interview, like in one of the la- in the episode thirty nine developers commentary. There's a great section where Ikuhara talks about like how around the time when episode 39 aired was when they they had just sort of announced that they were doing a movie um, mm. in like a magazine, and they literally he I can't find it again, but like he they literally everybody at Bipapas went out to like a diner and they just sat around and they were trying to think of ideas and they couldn't think of anything, and that's when the car <laughs> idea came up. Because yeah, like yeah, I, I realized when I was um, looking. I was flipping through the manga again. That adolescence is original manga side story, um, and but <laughs> without the car stuff. <laughs> uh, so, but yeah, yes, that and was... then, uh, uh, but yeah, and he talks about how the main thing that he wanted to do, and I'm quoting him directly here uh, with the with the movie was quote make it nuttier. <laughs> Fantastic. Uh, and so I was disappointed because, because like the main the main point of comparison for me for adolescence of Atena is End of Eva, which is another yeah. anime from around the exact from around the same time, you know, that got a feature length film. Um, and within the first like minute and a half of the End of Eva starting, we already have Shinji masturbating onto uh, or over uh, the comatose body of Asuka, who whose titties are clearly visible. And we just don't get anything that end off of the Eva rails. Did, end of Eva does not fuck around. End of Eva absolutely does not fuck around. Like, we don't get anything that off the rails in in Adolescence of Utena. Um, the only, the only, yeah, the only moment of true brilliance in Adolescence is when it, when it, um, uses an air an airplane revving up to to represent utena's rising horniness 
<laughs> yeah, that part when is she and Anthea are drawing each other. It's so good. Like Anthea makes her strip to to draw her, and Utena's like, "This is really embarrassing if it's just me." And Anthea's like, oh, "Fucking okay." Then Utena's like, "Oh God." Um, anyway, we are yeah we're off back yeah, to back to, back yeah, to the, 20, the other yeah the the other thing that happens in the Akihotori arc is that the homoeroticism is cranked up to ten billion approximately <laughs> like Akio and like the homoeroticism especially between Akio and Toga but also between Toga and Sayaji is just yeah. it's infinite it's on just the, they rip the they rip the fucking limiter off on the homoeroticism <laughs> it's so bananas. Uh, you know, like all these car scenes. I mean, obviously, they all have their shirts open. They're all posing like super erotically. Like they're doing it. Like it's just like they, every conversation that Akio has with Tuga, they're like taking horny pictures of each other. Oh yeah, they're absolutely. Um, or they're in know. bed shirtless. One yeah, or the other. I read Not a really, really them. great interview that I'll probably talk about a little bit more later. Uh, there's another really awesome interview on this this uh, Otori at .nu fan site um, about, it's like an interview from a magazine about sort of the relationship between Utena and like sort of queer culture from the 20th century and like the mm. sort of history of that stat- that stuff and like specifically the history of it in, in Japan um, and the sort of goals that um, that uh, Ikuhara had for, for Utena. There's another great like reading these interviews was super illuminating for it's give it is even with all of the parts where ikuhara just says like i don't remember why i did that like there's there's so many good moments in here where though like like the moderator will ask him like so why did you it was it what what's the deal with the spiral staircase like why did you have a spiral staircase and he's like i'm sure i had a reason for it but i don't remember what it was looks good doesn't it (laughs) um you know like he's he's so good yeah, speaking of but, like the queer culture stuff, like I I feel like I read an interview at some point. I I forgot and I didn't like get around to reading interviews this this time. That like uh, Saito was like I got the impression she was kind of almost actively opposed to the like the homosexuality. So so I have so I have some some so there are a couple of things that I learned from this interview that were really really interesting. So first okay. first off was. Talk, Ikuhara talking about what the goal of the show was and what he sort of, and this wasn't his goal starting out, but he talked about it as like sort of what he discovered that the show was trying to be as he was making it, which was that he was trying to sort of fold every shoujo story into one giant story. Like he was trying to make, <laughs> he was trying to make like the be all end all of shoujo. Um, you know, and he wound up, you know, like, like basically, and he talks a lot about, you know, all of these you know, you have all of these different stories that have a girl as a, as a main character in, like, manga and anime, and a lot of them follow these sort of same formulas, and they have these same archetypes and stuff like that, and he wanted to make something that pulled all of those together and then pulled them apart, you know, and, and, and mm-hmm. examined them. Um, and then the other thing was him talking, and this is a, a huge reason why the manga and the anime are so different, is that, so he got uh, Chihiro Saito involved because he liked her art style and he wanted to animate it. Um, and then basically like they you know had some lunches together and hashed out the concept and and stuff like that and then started working on it simultaneously and then she would occasionally like like see an episode of the show and see what they were doing and then she would just like show up and be like hey what the fuck is going on like what like like she was just not at all kept in the loop about what utenda was turning into on the on the tv side that's so funny um, you know, so, like, she was just totally, completely confused about what was going on. And she was, like, she definitely seems like, like, the more conservative of the two in terms of, like, what the show was supposed to be. 
Yeah. Um, like she very much was under the impression that they were just sort of trying to make a shoujo manga that was going to sell a million copies or whatever. Um, <laughs> and Ikuhara had bigger ambitions for it um, and didn't so much care or think specifically about um, its commercial value. And like, and, and he talks in here about like, well, it all worked out because Utena is super popular and we're all rich now. Uh, <laughs> you know, um, like everybody likes it. Um, you Come know, uh, you know, but he like especially like it, I get the sense that that not only was was Saito like less interested in the sort of more avant garde stuff that that Utena was trying uh, and the sort of more boundary pushing stuff that Utena was trying, but also she just wasn't aware of it until it had already happened. <laughs> um, you know, I can't find okay. the, the part of it in here. Um, and 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 Ikuhara is like, this is the first time hearing of this. I have no, I I had no idea that you weren't that you didn't know any of this stuff. How <laughs> <laughs> um, bizarre! Yeah, it's 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 weird. You you get the sense. Um, yeah, so like like it's it's reading the, especially these three directors' commentaries because they're all Saito and Ikuhara. Um, all three of them. There's there's one for episode thirty seven, one for episode thirty eight, and one for episode thirty nine. Um, and they're all. Saito and, and Ikuhara talking about, you know, the anime and talking about, um, you know, the, the process of making it. And, and Ikuhara is, I mean, like, you can, you just really get a sense for how different they are as people and how, how differently they think about, um, uh, storytelling. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, you know, there's, there's also a lot of, uh, there's, it, like, it, as much as there's all this, like, really great funny stuff in here where Ikuhara just says wacky shit. Oh, yeah, I, f- I found the fucking, um, uh, uh, I found I found the part. So he says he says a shoujo manga is a story where a girl is the main character. I wanted to define the meaning of shoujo manga. Do you understand? Can you translate that into English? And then um, Saito says you wanted to define a girl's dreams and admiration and such. And then he says I wanted to round up all the animated stories made with girls as the main characters up until then into one story, meaning make it a story where all those themes were included. I wanted to express everything they were trying to express all in all those shoujo manga and animations that had a girl as the main character in this one story. That was the type of anime I was trying to make. I had this radical turning point inside my head. Now that the channels had turned in my head, I thought that I could allow the visuals to be parodies, or rather, the visuals must be parodies. If this was going to be a round of everything up until now, the visuals should be parodies. That's why it suddenly went the Rose of Versailles sort of route. Up until that point, I had a huge adver- adverse reaction towards Rose of Versailles. I was absolutely against that idea. The reason why is because at the time, how do I say this? I was thinking of doing a story that was more sci-fi or fantasy, but that didn't sit with me too well. As I was doing it, I realized what I actually wanted to do was a project where I could compile the shoujo manga or animations with a girl as the main character into one. What they're trying to express in animations where a girl as the main character is, and this is my personal opinion, I'm not just talking about Ribbon no Kishi and Rose of Versailles, there are tons of other animations where a girl is the main character. How do I say this? The core of the basic theme is generally self-revelation. Um... And, Sa- and, and Saito says here, uh, it, it says in parentheses, surprised, agreeing noise. Um, <laughs> uh, and then Ikuhara says, a story where a girl is the main character is about self-revelation. By putting the theme of self-revelation at the core, and by wondering why you have to have this self-revelation, how do I say this? I think the meaning of your relationship to the world is always made apparent, per se. They express that indirectly by using love, for example, as a theme. In this series, love, I guess, also plays a big part, but how do I say this? I thought I should express that in that in a more grandiose scale. No, rather, that's that's what I wanted to do. <laughs> Yeah, and, and there, there's a great sort of back and forth, um, you know, where where um, <laughs> uh, like he and and, and uh, Saito says, "There's a lot of people who don't like Uteta," and Ikuhara says, "Bold people like that exist." <laughs> uh, and Saito says, "I think the reason why they don't like it is because that he says there's not a lot; it's only a few. There are only a few people who are like that." <laughs> um, 
Um, and he and, and then she says, I think it's because they're immersed in the Japanese shoujo culture. But in Antenna, there's this feeling of rejecting that. I think that by watching, I think by watching this anime, they can sense Mr. Ikuhara's intentions that he wanted to compile all of that. Um, and she says, I think the dislike comes from them not wanting it to be summed up to, summed up into one. This is what we like. Don't burst their bubble. Don't try to sum it up like that is maybe how they're feeling. And there's also this message saying, that's not a place where you should be putting yourself. So hurry up and have a self-revelation and get the hell out of there at the end. <laughs> so some girls were like, it's none of your business. Remember they used to have this adverse reaction to it? There are quite a few of them, people who do accept it. Hmm, I wonder. There are a lot of anime fans, of course, and devout fans who really liked this anime. But I think if normal people watch this, they'd have a better understanding of it. Huh. Um, there's also a lot of great stuff in these interviews where uh, Ikuhara talks about like the big influence that theater, especially uh, sh- uh, the Japanese playwright Shuji Terayama, uh, mm. had on on the show. The little shadow plays are yeah. a cute recurring thing. Yeah, there's another great interview on here with the between Ikuhara and uh, Kotaro Yoshitani, who did the script for the uh, the musical adaptation of Utena. Where they do talk a, a little bit about because Ikuhara basically he didn't want anything to do with the musical or like he he was happy that it existed but he didn't want to like work on it because he was like I'm too close to it I won't be able to adapt it correctly yeah um and um uh you know and, and he you know he he talks about he says in in this interview he says in other words when we adapt the theatrical parts it isn't like the anime at all it won't feel like the original work then why not make it more anime like but if we just faithfully recreate it we end up only appealing to those who liked it before will that make it a limited work if this is all i can do why bother is how i felt previously i've always loved the stage show and i make films i'm strongly aware that simply imitating the stage is something to be avoided um yeah, that's that's that gets yeah like so many adaptations like fail to understand the target medium and suck as a result. But yes, um, but yeah, Saito. I wouldn't say that she's like homophobic or anything like that. Based okay. on, just based on these interviews, but she definitely seems to be the less radical of of the two of them. Um, especially, especially like when you read this. Uh, there's this the the interview. It's I'll link it in the description. It's called "Disturbing, Traversing, Borderless, Shaking Sexuality: The Place Where Revolutionary Girl Utena Was Born." And Ikuhara, and this isn't between Ikuhara and and Saito. This is an interview. Uh, between Ikuhara and Mari Kotani, who's a science fiction critic and translator. Um, and this one, it very much seems like Ikuhara is extremely well-versed in sort of, like, queer history, mm-hmm. uh, especially Japanese queer history. Like, he mm-hmm. he fucking knows his shit um, in terms of, of like, just the, the way things have, have, have been, especially in terms of stories, and, like, he knows a lot about, a lot about this stuff. Um, you know, so it's, it's, it's sort of unsurprising the, the sort of stories that he writes, um, given, given his interests that, uh, yeah. And all, most of his stuff since then has been kind of overtly queer. Yeah. In one uh, way or another. Not that, not that I could get through it. <laughs> <laughs> like, like Sarah Zanmai and his like gay girl bear show i couldn't neither of them i I made it through a single episode of (laughs) um yeah the other thing to mention about episode 25 is that so they they changed the opening sequence and igohara he also gives it a great explanation of why he changed the opening sequence which is that hey he just thought people were getting bored of the old one and it was about time to change it um and i wish they didn't change the old closing song though i like the original yeah the old closing song is so much better than the new closing song um but they, they, there's this back and forth, I forget between, between which characters, but they're talking about how basically like they've installed an elevator in the thing, but they keep using the word gondola, <laughs> uh, 
for the elevator and I can hear it over and over again and I'm like I was expecting a gondola and then she gets into an <laughs> elevator I'm like that's a fucking elevator not a gondola like uh, no and then this went me let me down a Wikipedia rabbit hole um of like so they're actually, actually saying I, gondola it's not just a, it's not just a translation oh yeah it's thing. not just you could hear them saying gondola Okay. Like, like you could hear them saying that on in in the Japanese audio. Like you could hear them saying gondola. I I I just I I believe you. And I'm like a gondola. First and foremost is a boat. (laughs) Let's get one thing straight. Let's get one thing straight. A gondola is a boat. Okay. Secondly, a gondola is a cable car. A gondola is not an elevator. Um. Yeah, and I I. I don't, I don't remember where, uh, I don't remember what Wikipedia page I read this on, but there was some fucking thing where it was talking about how, like, British people say cable car and then Americans say, like, aerial ropeway or something like that. And I'm just like, no, we don't. (laughs) We don't say that. (laughs) Don't put words in our mouths. Don't put words in our mouths. We don't don't say that at all. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. We, We, like, it says cable car is British English and aerial tramway is U.S. English. And no American has ever said aerial tramway. Okay. I would expect, I would expect, yeah, I would expect a British person to say aerial tramway. That seems like a British, trams are a British thing. Yeah. That seems like a British ass thing to say. Yeah. We don't have, yeah. I mean, we have trams in some places, but, um, yeah, like in American English, we, we do not say, so if you're looking at the the Wikipedia page, yeah, if you're looking at the Wikipedia page for an aerial lift, which it also claims that aerial lift is what we call it in the U.S. and they call it a cable car in the U.K. Yeah. No, we call it a cable car here too. What are you talking about? Yeah, yeah, please, please do not do not embarrass me. We call it a cable car like a normal person. Um, There's enough anyway. shit, shitty things about America without making things up. Yeah, you don't need to, you don't need to make up weird linguistic quirks. <laughs> like, we're just like, oh, it's an aerial tramway. I'm American. <laughs> anyway, moving on. Moving on. Uh, moving on, episode see. 26. Yeah, so this is Mickey Redux. Yes. Uh, so, ba 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 Nanami gets a massage chair. Uh, Causeway turns out to be kind of gay. Um... So, so like, yeah. So here's, so here's Mickey fighting again, and so, uh, Cosway, like his sister, sort of seduces him in the car with Akio. Uh, she's like, the only way to get what you want is to lose your purity, which, which doesn't really make much sense in context, but work. But you later on, it connects with uh, Utena's memory of. The prince, where he says, "If you never lose your nobility, like we'll we'll meet again, or something." Yeah. Uh, and so, so yeah. So this, so like, if 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 my understanding of like the the theme of this arc, like here, Mickey's kind of doubling down on his kind of, I guess tendencies like his possessiveness um because initially he fought utena in order so that he could ensure that anthony always played piano with him yeah um and now he's uh yeah and when in in his car ride with akio like uh first causeway is all splayed out sexy like and then 
uh, is then then Anthe is there, and so yeah, it's his kind of it's this, his kind of objectification of uh, Anthe that kind of drives his challenging attendant to the duel. Yeah, and the thing. So the thing that I think. Because you're talking about like oh Mickey doubling down on his on his, on his tendencies and and the, you said something you were talking about Mickey and um, and Jerry getting like the, a tiny modicum of character growth and I totally oh, yeah. agree with you that there is no character growth for these characters pretty much at all in this show and right. I I think that that's intentional and it makes sense uh, and oh, because yeah. in light of the ending of the show I think what this show is arguing because. And we'll talk a, a little bit more about this in, in the context of the ending, but I think what this show is essentially arguing is that as long as Otori Academy is a stand-in for sort of rigid binary power structures and the patriarchy and white supremacy and all of this stuff, like, that is what Otori Academy is, um, metaphorically. Incredibly and, fucked up and weird that the chairman is one of the only brown people in the show. Yeah, it's not great. Um, you know, but... Uh, what the show is arguing is that as long as these people are at Otori Academy, they will be trapped mm. in who they are. You that know? makes sense. That there is no, there can be no character growth. There can be no changing. There can be no growing as a person as long as you're trapped within these sort of rigid binary power structures yeah. um, that Otori Academy represents. Uh, you know, the racial stuff is not great. Um, not great. Nah, it kind of sucks. Um, you know, um, but I still like the show because, like, I, because I was, I was expecting them to either have there be, like, because I, I, at this point, my, one of my notes for episode 26 was that I was talking about how the, the reuse of character conflicts might be an intentional commentary and how the core problems that these people are facing have not actually been resolved. You yeah. know, like the Miki and, and all of all of these side characters keep all the duelists keep facing the same problems. They keep making the same mistakes because the, pro- the the sort of core issues that cause them to make those mistakes have not been resolved. Yeah, and and, and we we talked about in the, the Black Rose arc kind of how like after they lose the duel, like they kind of yeah. reset to ju- immediately before the crisis that kind of yeah. prompted they just, that they don't duel. Go, things don't get better; they just go back to normal. Exactly. You know, um, after after they after they lose the duel, and and that at the time we were sort of speculating that that might be something in, intentional or interesting. And part of what I was expecting was that the end of the show or like the last arc of the show maybe would have some sort of character resolution and character growth for all of these characters that involves them sort of ad- addressing these core problems, you know, or, or whatever, which I think would have been really straightforward and kind of boring. And instead it does something weirder and cooler in my opinion. Um, but anyway, we can talk about that a little bit more when we get to the, the ending. Um, so, so yeah, so episode 26, it's Miki's episode. Yeah, it's Kozue and, you know, uh, it's, it's basically the same as the first episode. Akio does a front flip over his car. Uh, there's a, some weird gay shit with Kozue and Anthe in a car, it, uh, yeah, yeah. uh, cranking up the homoeroticism. And then we need to talk about the egg episode. We do. We, we need... do. Okay. Okay. 27. So, yeah, episode twenty-seven. So you know, Egg. so you, you've all seen The Godfather, right? Uh, uh, I, I I have, yes. 
the Godfather, you know the scene, and if you even if you haven't seen the Godfather, you know the scene where the guy has the horse head. He wakes up and there's the horse head in his bed. Right. So, so, yeah, so uh, yeah. So like he the, the the yeah he's he's this guy that they're trying to convince. Um, what they're trying to convince him of is not important, but the Godfather says, "I'll make an offer he can't refuse." And then the which offer is a horse head <laughs> is his favorite prize horse, the head of that horse uh, in his bed. Uh, so imagine if that horse head was an egg. Uh, and are you are you so, imagining it? I yeah, imagine it. Imagine how weird that would be. Okay, so now we can talk about the egg episode. <laughs> So, Nanami wakes up. <laughs> Nanami wakes up in the morning, and there's an egg in her bed. Mm-hmm. There's just an egg, and it's like a weird egg. It's got like a red pattern on the outside. Um, and she, rather than concluding that somebody put an egg in her bed as like a prank or something, or anything else, she simply concludes that she must have laid this egg mm-hmm. in her mm-hmm. sleep, which is. That's a conclusion you can you can come to. That's one of the that's it's in the logical space. Um, and then there's there's this like just amazing sequence where she thinks about various creatures that lay eggs, and so it like the cuts to like an insert shot of a chicken and an insert shot of a turtle and an insert shot of a frog. Do we get a platypus? We do not get a platypus. No. Damn. Well, we, there's there's discussion of a platypus later. Like Miki brings up the fact that platypi lay eggs mm. and they're mammals. Oh, oh yeah, because yeah, we're talking about mammals. You know, and she's she's just like she's carrying this egg around in her pocket, and she's convinced that it's just a plot by someone to get people to say bad things about her mm-hmm. because she, that, that she lays an egg. You know, and yeah. she's just she just like has this like whole like it is she, like she has is, sev- she has several meltdowns before lunch. Yeah, yeah, she like and this is I was j- half joking that this is the best episode of the show um, because okay. I I do so like it's. It's genuinely, like, one, it's genuinely fucking hilarious. Like, this episode is absolutely bizarre and absurd in a very funny way. Um, and also, it is a really effective character study of Nanami and a really genuine examination of, like, this sort of, like, bizarre, like, anxious, thought-spiraling, meltdown stuff and, like, the all, weird... All, all her weird neuroses. Yeah, and her, all her weird neuroses and, like, the weird, like, body anxiety that teenagers have where they don't quite understand how anything about them works. That's true, yeah. You know, like, like it, like, it's... A lot of shows have episodes like this. None of them are as weird as this. <laughs> and, and, like, and like the weirdness really sets it apart because it manages to be both this sort of pretty common sort of format where, you know, something happens, you know, that, that's, that causes a character to have a, mis- a misunderstanding about how their body works. And then they have, like, a fucking weird, you know, infinite meltdown thought spiral. Um... And this and this this episode is maybe the my favorite example of that in any show that I've ever seen. Um, so she so she has like this a bunch of meltdowns, you know, where she imagines like all of the girls at school being like, "Oh my god, you you laid an egg," and then they put her in jail with all the other egg laying animals because that's what <laughs> we do. Jail. They put her in egg jail because that's <laughs> where we that's where she imagines that like you put a put you put a chicken and a frog and a turtle all in tiny individually sized jail cells <laughs> because just, they lay she, eggs. She's just she's just. A, She's over. She is. She's a taxonomist with an overactive imagination. Okay. Yeah, she's just having a shame on you, Nanami, carrying an egg. You didn't lay it or something, did you? 
Like she and she's and then, just in, then, in egg jail again. And then, but thank God for Jerry. Yes, who's, thank God, who, thank God for Jerry. Who, yeah, she, she goes her well, that for, it's normal to lay well, eggs. Well, first she goes to Miki. He oh, says okay. it's definitely a very strange egg, and no bird or reptile laid th- laid this, and it appears to have been freshly laid today. <laughs> uh, and she's like, suppose, suppose that this egg was laid by a certain girl. Um, and then. Uh, Miki says, well, there are some mammals that lay eggs, like, for instance, the platypus, and then Nanami immediately interprets this as, there are other people in the world who lay eggs, which I need to reassure you, Nanami, that there are mammals that aren't people. Uh, and then she has another meltdown about how she laid an egg. This She tells people she laid an egg this morning, and they're like, you only laid your first one today? How old are you? You're really late compared to most people. I had the late bloomer thing. Yeah. I know she'll just, I just know she'll make fun of me. I've only started to lay eggs now. Um... And, 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 and that, like, it's, it's just, it's so fucking real. Like, it's so, like, this is a real, this is how people actually think. You know, it's, it's, like, it's exactly the sort of thing that somebody like Nami would worry about if she woke up with an egg in her bed. It's so good. You know, and so, yeah, then she runs into Jury, who's carrying this enormous, like, case with something heavy in it. Um, and then she bumps into Nanami and then goes, be careful, yeah, and then Nami freaks out. It's like, you almost broke my egg, you know, forgetting that it's not normal to just have an egg. But the jury <laughs> doesn't care about that because jury says, be careful. You only scratched my ball. And then Nami says, your ball? And then yeah, so this, there is this scene. There's well, this it's, 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 it's a play on words, like, in Japanese. Because, like, egg is, like, is tamago and ball is tama. Yeah. And so... Um, yeah, so, so, Nanami thinks Jerry's talking about her egg. Yeah, and then, and, and Jerry has, and so Jerry explains, oh, how long, you know, Nanami's like, how long have you, have you had this? And she's like, oh, since I was 11 or so. Um, and, and how long have you had your, your own, your own balls? And it's just like, oh, since I was around 11 or so. And it's like, and it's like, oh my god, since you were 11? It's just like, oh, well, and she's like, well, I started off with smaller ones, and then they got to this size. And it's like, oh, my God. I'm so far behind. Yeah, and then she's, she's, you know, just, like, panicking, one about how far behind she is, and also, like, imagining what it would be like to lay an egg of that size. Um, And then, but then she she leaves the conversation ultimately reassured that laying eggs is normal. Yeah. Uh, And then we find out that Jerry was, of course, not talking about her egg at all, Mm. but she was talking about her bowling ball because she's a bowler. Yes, she is. Um, Which is... (laughs) Just an Like, I love how that character detail about Jerry just comes out of nowhere and then never comes up again. (laughs) It is absolutely at no point ever again or before brought up that Jury is an avid bowler. Who's who, which of these characters is most likely to bowl? We need to we we need to we need to shoehorn this joke in somehow. Yeah, most likely to bowl. She won the most likely to bowl award at in our high school yearbook. Um, yeah, that's the. I, I mean, who is most likely to bowl? Is it Jerry? Uh, I feel like Miki prop me, but like Miki would definitely be most likely to bowl if he didn't already also have a different hobby. Like if he wasn't a pianist, yeah. 
Well, he also I, fe- he also fences sometimes, isn't he? Yeah, and Jerry, I guess, fences as well as bowls. Yeah. You know, so so maybe that's a little bit more normal. Um, I could also totally, if Anthony bowled, I would totally buy that. Oh, for sure. Yeah. I would totally buy, like, sure, and, fucking why not, dude? <laughs> yeah, I hadn't thought of that, but look, think about it now. Yeah, Anthony could totally be a bowler. I could, I could totally believe that Anthony was a bowler. What, it, like, what? Anthony doesn't really sport. We know, we all know that Utena is a dunk lord. Um, so like Anthony, Anthony doesn't really sport. What sport do you think that Anthony would be most likely to play? I feel like she could probably be like a tennis or a badminton lord. Oh God, yes, she should be on team badminton. Yeah, she should absolutely. Yeah, I, I, yeah, she could probably be a badminton lord. She could be like a croquet lord, um, or some sort of golf lord. I feel like Akia would be a golf lord. So, so yeah, so then she starts being, like, a real mom to her egg, and she's like, I have nothing to be upset about. Everyone's laying eggs. And, you know, her little, like, child slave comes up to her and is like, oh, how's your egg doing? And she's like, oh, it's just fine. It's getting bigger by the day. And I'm like, that's not how <laughs> eggs work. You know, and, and everybody starts to notice how weird Nanami is acting, and then it is revealed that Anthe has a pet hen also named Nanami. <laughs> Uh, who, quote, got like that right after she laid an egg. Um, uh, and then there's th- this fucking bizarre conversation with um, with Toga and Nanami, where Nanami is like, Nanami asks like, about girls who lay eggs, and Toga's like, Nanami, why do you think you've been able to live so happily together? It's because you're a girl who doesn't lay eggs. I pity the family of a girl who would betray them by that. See, like see, that. Th- see, here I feel like this, 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 like, like, like that. I think that proves that like Tuga laid put the egg in her bed just to fuck with her, <laughs> just to, like fucking gaslight the shit out of his sister. Yeah, because uh, I, I mean, we'll get to the end of this episode, but this never comes up again. At no <laughs> other point, like, it's never resolved in the episode or at any other point who put the egg in her bed. It's never resolved what this egg, how this egg came to be. Like, n- nothing about it is resolved. Like, nothing about this ever comes up again. Because um, we'll get to, so, and then she also, like, tra- fucking Tradcath uh, Toga is like, Nanami, you like girls more than boys? And she's like, yes. And she's like, well, how, how, did, how did they get to that misunderstanding in the first place? Oh, she was, I think she was asking, like, what, would she, her child... She was thinking of if her egg was going to hatch into a boy or a girl. Yeah, what, yeah, 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 yeah. That's what it was. And then, and then Nanami wanted it to be a girl. And then, it, and then Tradcath Toga is like, listen, Nanami, God created men and women for a reason. That reason being because they joined in the best sort of way. <laughs> um, so it says him, like, who's, who's actively fucking Akio. Yeah, yeah. Like, him, him, like, the, like the, probably the second gayest man on the show. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> you know, and so then, so crushed by her brother's rebuke of her egg laying tendencies, and it's like, oh, now Toga's saying it's not normal to, to lay eggs and it's bad to be a girl who lays eggs. Um, and there's this fucking weird ass sequence where, it's, where she's like sitting in the cafeteria, like wondering what other people do with their eggs <laughs> while, um, like, all of the, the, like, the, the barbershop, tr- the barbershop trio. Uh, like of teenage boys are like all uh, over there making tamago kake gohan, you know, like stirring stirring their eggs into their rice, tamago, and then she re- tamago, 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 you know, and, and then she realizes, oh fuck, they eat their eggs. 
these, um, these, these, these monsters. You know, these monsters, they're all eating their eggs. Um, and so then she decides um, to take to go out into the woods and leave the egg at the foot of a tree because she just doesn't have the courage to eat her own egg. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then it's, she goes it's, back. It's, such, it's so sad. It's so sad. And then she goes back to her room and then she sits in there and she worries and, and frets and she decides to go back out into the woods. Um be brave and to, strong retri- and- to retrieve her egg and she finds that the, her egg isn't where she left it and then she looks around and, and she finds that since Sayanji got kicked out of Wakaba's house he's been living in a tent in the woods <laughs> and he, he's just got an apron on and he's just like having a fucking egg fry in the middle of the woods by himself in the middle of the night in the middle of the night and she and she like flips out and she's like how could you be eating eggs and he's like Eggs are normally something you eat. <laughs> and, he, and he's like, listen, I'd be ashamed to associate with anyone who pitches a fit over one lousy egg. <laughs> you know, because she goes back and forth and she realizes that he has, he's like doing like the fucking smash mouth eat the eggs challenge <laughs> out there. He's got like two dozen eggs in a bowl and he's just like frying them one by one and just eating them by himself in the middle of the night in the woods. <laughs> <laughs> it's out of control <laughs> you know and then she has like this nightmare about the egg becoming gigantic and cracking open and there's nothing inside it right she rescues it before he can it's it's in his queue yeah. but she grabs yeah. it out it's in his egg and takes queue. It and, like because that's a further thing which is like okay so if he was just walking through the woods and saw this egg by a tree and was like well don't mind if i do uh like what where did he get the other eggs like did he also he, find he those laid, in the he woods laid them. <laughs> <laughs> they're his eggs they're, like yeah they're like but this it's, it's Okay, uh, um, you know, and there's there's then there's like a weird monologue between uh, Atena and Anthe because that's the other thing that gets introduced is because they move into a different dorm in Anthe's in in Akio's house. They get the gay bed, the gay bed, gay bed, which is just two beds that face each other so they can look into each other's eyes as they sleep. It's like those what are those chairs called? Conversation chairs. Yeah, it's called yeah. like conversation beds. Yeah, it, yeah, except it's without, basically a conversation except without, bed. Except, without the, except without like a, any sort of wall. Yeah, so you're just, like, and looking so, directly at each other. And so they just, yeah, they, they go to bed, like, holding hands, staring into each other's eyes. Yeah. Honestly, this seems like a better sleeping arrangement. Like, obviously, this bed takes up a ludicrous amount of space, but this seems like a better sleeping arrangement than most people who sleep in the same bed as another person. I agree. Uh, you know? Like, if you if you can afford to purchase, uh, if you have the space in your home and can afford for to a purchase gay bed. The, for the gay bed... I would I would recommend it because you get most of the benefits of sleeping in a bed with another person, but you don't have to. But you don't wake up and find that your wife is still in all of your sheets. <laughs> um, uh, so, wait, how do we get? How do we get? How do we get well, to the gay bed? Well, that's it's what happens next. This is a monologue in the gay bed where Anthea is like, "Miss Atena, do you believe in reincarnation?" Is this still uh, in the egg episode? This is still in the egg episode. Yes. Oh, okay. Um. You know, uh, and so she has a, a, a tsunami hat, and there's this whole thing about how, like, um, they say that when elephants reach the end of their lives, they leave the herd to die in secret. Maybe they sneak out to die on their own because they don't want their children to feel sad. Um, you know, and they talk about, like, passing on genes from parent to child, which was, like, a weird obsession in in a lot of media, but seemingly especially in Japanese media in the late 90s. 
Like really? that's there's yeah, I mean like specifically I'm thinking about Metal Gear Solid. Uh, uh, and like there's a totally a monologue exactly about this uh, uh at the end of Metal Gear Solid. Uh, um because okay, so in Metal in Metal Gear Solid, the first three games all have a theme that's summed up by a word that starts with one of the letters in MGS. So Holy shit. In Metal Gear Solid one, the theme is Gene because it's about Solid Snake fighting his brother, who is also a clone of Big Boss, right. Liquid Snake. Uh, and then you got all of the 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 inferior recessive genes, which isn't how that works. Um, and um, and then in Metal Gear Solid Two is about is meme because it's about the internet and data, um, oh. and it's about um, it's about sort of like the sort of connected world of of the internet and stuff like that. <laughs> and it, posting. I, yeah, it's not really about posting. Um, I would I would explain the plot of at, at the end of Metal Gear Solid Two, but it is substantially more complicated. Um, and then Metal Gear Solid Three is about is about scene, uh, which because it's about um, it's about the way that context shapes your existence. Um, anyway, anyway, uh, play Metal Gear Solid. The, they're good. The first three ones are good. The other ones aren't good. Um, Metal Gear Solid Two. If you're gonna play so, one, of them, so one the one question, on the, the question <laughs> I'm sure everyone in the audience is asking now is, does Nanami's egg carry on her genes? And the answer no, because she smashes it. She, um, yeah, like like the like the horse head, she wakes up to find her her sheets soaked not with water nor any other uh, benign substance, but the blood of her dearest child. Egg name egg. Yes. Pour, pour it out. Uh, pour one out. F S in chat for the egg. Rip to a short king. <laughs> uh, yeah, and then it never comes up again. Never. And that's the well, egg episode. Poor Nanami. Like I would say, because if, if it weren't for the last arc, I would say literally just watch the egg episode <laughs> of this show. There's no point in watching any of the other episodes. Because, but but also like the egg episode kind of only makes sense if you know who the characters are, yeah. um, you know, like like Nanami because it's a Nanami focused episode, you can get the gist of who Nanami is just from watching this episode. But the other characters, like it's most it's so like, much funnier inter- when yeah, you know who Sayanji is. The interactions that she has with Sayanji and 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 all the other minor characters are a lot funnier if you know who those people yeah. are. Yeah. Um, I mean, yeah, just just put it on in the background until like episode twenty two. Watch those two, then then kind of turn your brain off again, and then watch the egg, and and then turn it off until the end of the show. Uh, anyway, so then in episode twenty eight, we're just we're just moving on from the egg thing. No further comment. <sighs> All right, uh, um, and then we meet Sonic the Hedgehog. <laughs> yeah, my first note is like he came. He's apparently just got discharged in the hospital, and I was like, what was his illness? Clearly, he has been cured of being an asshole. <laughs> Oh, you're sick. <laughs> yeah. Just... So, yeah, I thought of the hedgehog is this blue-haired fencer who's just a colossal shithead who who appears in two episodes then dies. Yeah, and they literally just kill him. Um, died of, of this of this of they, this he died of leg illness. <laughs> oh, Cass, what is that? <laughs> if you have to ask, you can't afford it. Damn it. Um. So, okay, so back on, like, Jiri, so if, um, I think we talked about Jiri and Shiori in the previous episode, but, like, 
that whole dynamic is uh, Jiri is the one, like, at least in the mainline show, like the only like overtly actually gay character. Yeah. Um, that that can't be like explained away at the subtextual level. Yeah. Uh, so she's in love with her childhood friend Shiori. Um, Shiori at least is does is confused. Shiori is the classic homophobic homosexual. She's not really sure about her sexuality, but she knows that like, but she is jealous at a kind of a subconscious level of uh, what she thinks is a romance between Jiri and this other and this other fencer, this boy. And so to keep Jerry from abandoning her, uh, she like takes the boy first and um, kind of and breaks up the breaks up the the friend group. And then she transfers to a different school and then Jerry leaves Jerry brokenhearted and then comes back and has an extremely kind of awkward back and f- like push pull relationship with Jerry for this the show. Um, and so you would think when we're doing like a Shiori Redux episode that we would bring this this dude, maybe bring him back, but no. Instead, we bring this whole other dude, which is basically basically the same dude except blue hair instead of brown hair. Yeah, uh, that's why he has to die because they already have a character with blue hair. <laughs> oh, I have two. Honestly, Mickey and Causeway. Oh yeah. Uh, yeah, so, they all look so similar. Like, they, they could just all be siblings. Yeah, so we get this piece of shit who's, like, the ex-fencing captain. And uh, she always having another crisis about, like, how she feels about Jiri. Uh, and so she latches onto this dude. So she don't doesn't have to think about it. And Jiri is like, f- Fuck. Uh, and basically tells Sonic the Hedgehog, like, don't, like, I know you're just messing around with her. Don't. Please just, like, leave her be. Um, and it turns out he is messing with Shiori to get at Jerry because yeah, he's there's in love a with really her. amazing, like, Princess Bride, I am not left-handed moment where he just is like, I have one thing to say to you. That's not my sword. <laughs> <laughs> because the way that she get that she already gets into into uh, blue hair, Sonic the Hedgehog's life is that uh, she she like is like walking down the hallway holding a sword. Uh, uh, and well, no, she, she's pulling. She's opening a she's opening a yeah a, a locker, and a sword falls out, and Sonic the Hedgehog shows up. Uh, and and he's, then he's like, that's my sword. Somebody polished my sword every day while I was gone. Was that you? What a like, kind young lady. And then she's like, yes, that was me. I polished your sword every day. Um, and then it's just the, the most amazing cutting, just like, that's not my sword. Yeah. And so then he loses the duel and he's like, all right, Shiori, see you later. And she's like, but I loved you. He's like, that sword you were polishing, that wasn't my sword. And you knew it, because it was Jerry's sword, of course. Uh, and, yeah, let's skip over all the sexual assault shit. Um, Sonic Tension oh, dies. Yeah. 
and yeah there's a really uh, really gross scene where sonic the hedgehog yeah just assaults jury it's gross and bad um um and, and then, then he's out of the picture and then shiori returns to her little kind of like schoolgirl following oh yeah jury. also jury jury's locket gets broken the locket that she keeps a picture of shiori oh in. yeah um um and so yeah this is this that's actually connected to her single tick of character growth down the line yes um when when lieutenant is playing badminton the best sport badminton with, content uh, jerry and uh mickey and they're joking about like how they both fall in love with lieutenant uh and uh jerry's like well maybe i'll, I'll get a picture of you for my for my new locket uh and it's cute and funny and shows that they've like matured enough that they can like joke about their their bullshit. Yeah. Um, but yeah. so uh, winding back to yeah, twenty eight, like yeah, Jerry's locket breaking is kind of Jerry Locket breaks in twenty nine. During uh, her Oh yeah, there are two episodes of this crap. Uh, kind of like And then at the end of episode twenty nine, we literally we literally get informed that Sonic the Hedgehog has died in a, like feel like a shadow play i know it's they're literally just like yeah the play should died yesterday <laughs> yeah um and so yeah we were talking we were talking i think last episode in um episode for last episode of the podcast we were talking about episodes 23 22 and 23 about how um like utena like everyone else is well like he's kind of trapped in the past uh, Mikage, who is the kind of the antagonist of the Black Rose arc, was kind of literally trapped in the past in that kind of his perception of reality was actually not true. And it was like what things he thought he saw were actually things that no longer existed. And so that was kind of an extreme example. But for Utena, it was that she um, had this, this idea of the prince in her head and she could never really grow as a character until she... Uh, learns to kind of live for herself and not for this kind of weird childhood um, memory that she has. And so for Jerry, yeah, her, 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 the thing trapping her is the locket. And so when it breaks at the end of 29, that's kind of um, the kind of prerequisite for her to, I guess, like to move on. And like the weird thing about that is that at the end of 29, you see, shiori kind of puppy dog following her anyway so you think well maybe they will end up together um but i suppose that's not entirely inconsistent like jury is kind of hung up on this kind of idealized version of shiori i suppose and when when she can kind of see through that she might be able to accept shiori as the shitty actual person she is yeah and so 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 but um this isn't unfortunately a story about jerry so we don't really get a a real resolution to that arc yeah no uh okay so that's so then the next episode is episode 30 where candles um, <laughs> excuse me oh, oh yeah this is where, yeah we get like um this cute little um candles as i put candles as doki doki but that's not actually really yeah what, no um uh, what's going on it's vastly more sinister than that um what exactly is are, are the candles uh, i'm not quite sure basically 
so so what happens in this episode is that utena falls in love with akio or like realizes that she's in love with akio and akio starts like really coming on to her and there is okay listen i'm not this type of literary critic but what happens after so like akio and utena like go on a, a like they akio drives her to the hospital because she's like injured her foot um and akio like starts they start like making out in the car like akio basically like like comes on to her and and uh and then from this this very long held shot of of uh of akio kissing utena with anthe like sitting with huge glowing eyes in the background uh, <laughs> uh it then cuts from that to the most dick-shaped building anyone has ever seen in their entire lives uh so look i'm not i'm not here to say phallic symbol but i am saying at this specific moment phallic symbol uh because straight up i like and it's the, it's the, it's the big tower in the middle yeah it's it's the big tower in the middle of otori academy it's the place where anthe and and akio and Nutena live and it looks exactly like a dick it looks exactly like a dick um so yeah and so i just i just started fucking cracking up at this because it is so overt uh while being <laughs> just the most overt like why else would they cut to a shot of that building why else Cause, like they cut away and they cut up and like it's this big like like low angle of this big dick-shaped building it's uh it's funny that they didn't cut to a, a, a foot-shaped building because as, <laughs> yeah, as we learned also, later in the episode uh akio is a huge foot pervert yeah uh, we get some feet in this so, episode so i wrote kane, in my kane, notes animefeet.blogspot.com <laughs> so uh can i can i can i uh his his uh his putative uh fiance who we haven't seen since like the black rose arc yeah uh she 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 pops up again because she's like hold on i'm not in this show anymore that could only mean yeah, akio and her, is cheating her, on me and her mom shows up actually to to confront uh, akio her about mom his... who is a big titty goth milf who, uh, yeah so she's like akio uh have you been like unfaithful to my daughter and he's like here let's have sex on my couch and i'll tell you all about how i haven't been uh yeah. he starts off with the, with his with his weird foot uh fixation and yeah um it goes from there yeah it's it's this show in these in the second half it, it like it's always been a little horny it gets so horny in the second <laughs> half yeah uh yeah it gets, it gets so horny. it goes from zero to horny in like two seconds um <laughs> Because, like, even the, the like, elevator animation that it replaced the Spiral Staircase animation with is hornier than the Spiral Staircase animation. Yeah, it's... It's the whole thing. Anyway. Uh, more Nanami! Yes, more Two Nanami. Two episodes full of Nanami. Uh, so Nanami basically learns that she isn't siblings with Toga, and there's this bizarre conversation that she's having with togo where they're both reading and she's like reading a magazine about how like couples who are both blood type b are the least compatible and she talks about how like the whole family is blood type b and then <laughs> togo's like and then she's like where are you going and togo's like i'm gonna take a shower and then he says care to join me and then there's <laughs> the longest most pregnant pause and it cuts for like it's 
close up on Nanami, and then it cut, and then it cuts to a shot of a frog catching a fly, and then it cuts back to the close up of Nanami, who's like beat red at this point, and then Toga says, "Just kidding." Yeah, so he's just like, like this is what this is this is what, like he, like half of his, like everything you know around Nanami is just to like make her life more miserable. Yeah, that's why I think the egg thing was his was all his doing. Uh, and so, yeah, she finds out that, like, because they don't have the same blood type, where their while their parents do, that they can't be blood related. And she has the her egg meltdowns were nothing compared to this one. Yeah, she she also like spies on Toga in the shower. Yeah, she's got some uh, she's got some hangups. Yeah, she has some hangups, and then they. Um... Yeah, but yeah, she yeah she finds out that that or she she basically puts two and two together about her brother's blood type being A and her both of her parents and her blood type is B, which or vice versa, it doesn't matter. No, no, it's yeah, she's B. I'm I'm looking at the screenshot literally right now. Okay. Uh, um, and and so it's and it's impossible for two type B parents to have a type A child. Right. Um, which I tried to look up and see if that was true, and I just couldn't be bothered. <laughs> Yeah. Uh, okay. Oh, and th- this episode or one of these um, is where the where the whole uh, probably where the whole spoon bending thing that the Matrix does came from. <laughs> and that one's a little shadow play where they're bending a spoon with their mind. I mean, spoon bending is a lot older than that. Like, I didn't the know idea it was a bit. thing. Yeah, spoon bending specifically, like, specifically spoons. Yeah, specifically spoons. It's like a classic, really? like psychic demonstration. Is bending bending silverware generally, but, so, hmm. but I mean, <laughs> yeah, no, I don't know anything. Don't worry. Uh, so uh, yeah, her, yeah, so her her whole her whole kind of like uh, her whole toxic worldview that that she has to double down on is the idea that like she's special in virtue of her relationship to Tuga, and so that's how she that's how um, she got her little her minions. So like. She's had these three girls who like follow her around, and yeah. we learn in this in this these two episodes that kind of um, they like joined up with her explicitly to become closer to Tuga. Yeah, and uh, like we and so, knew that from the episode where they join her. Um, uh, I thought that was that. I thought that was one of these episodes. Nope that like, was that was in the last episode that we talked about the last podcast episode that we talked about that um, where we, they join her in the episode uh, where she talks about vermin. Uh, well, I know that was why Keiko specifically did it. Um, no, and... it was all three of them. At that, oh, point. Okay, that was that was okay. the episode in which all three of them joined her. Um, anyway, so, so he, she has this little fantasy shoujo world that sh- um, that is cr- com- crashing down, and so at first she kind of tries to like keep it together through sheer force. Like she, at one point, she like actually beats up her, the, the girls to bring them back into line. Yeah, um, and but of course. It's not gonna. It's not gonna work because she she has to fight Utena and she loses. Um, yeah. Um, yeah. And, and she. So the other thing that happens in this episode is she moves out at this point of Toga and hers house mm-hmm. and moves in with Anthe and Utena for an episode. Right. Uh, and there's this bizarre moment where she she's like sitting on the couch next to Akio asking if he if she can live there and he says my true dream is to turn the chairman's residence into a harem you see. <laughs> And then there's an incredible pause, and then he says, "Just kidding." And then, like the next scene is like, "Utena hugged Anthe." Doesn't it feel yeah. like Akio's trying to create a harem? 
Yeah, now he's got Nanami in here. <laughs> uh, like, and then, um, <clears throat> and so yeah, this is also when she sees uh, Akio and Anthony having sex. Yes, uh, and it's like, what the fuck is going on in this school? Yeah, uh, what, what on earth? Look, is look, look, here? look who's look who's talking, Nanami. Yeah, uh, well, I mean, that's kind of the thing is that now, like, her relationship to her brother is put in stark relief, and I think that's part of the reason why she has such a strong negative reaction is because yeah. the relationship between Anthe and Akio reminds her so strongly of her relationship to Tuga, and if that yeah. relationship reminds her so strongly of her relationship to Tuga, then what does that say about her? Right, and I think that it, like, I think at least at some point in the episode, you kind of get the sense that, like, her, like, if you actually asked her what she wants her relationship with Tuga to be, I don't think she actually wants to be having sex with him. Like, it's this, it, like, it is this sort of fancy show show, like, like, yeah, but it's it's this sort of like because I mean, she does spy on him in the shower. Right, That's and very true. strongly consider going to shower with him. You yeah. know, like like this is where because like the relationship with Nanami's relationship with Toga has always had this sort of like incestuous undertone, but this is where it really gets surfaced. Right, it's specifically to draw the sort of parallel between the Akio Ampi relationship and the Nanami Toga relationship. Right, right. So she, yeah, so a lot of her a lot of her stuff is subconscious, and like yeah, seeing Akio and Anthony kind of kind of forces her to confront. Uh, confront it all. Uh, and she, then she loses the duel. Then she's like, "What's left for me? Am I just one, one more fly in the swarm?" Yeah, because there's uh, this fucking there's and the 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 the, the car sequence. Because like all of these duels begin with this sort of car sequence and stuff like that. Um, and yeah, where 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 Tuga or someone else says, "If your soul has not truly given up, can you hear it? Can you hear the 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 engine? Uh, yeah, of your yeah, soul." And then, the car just like drives into wherever they are. Where, yeah, literally wherever and they there are. Is, and there's this amazing moment where like Nanami is talking to Tuga and they're in their house and like the car busts <laughs> through the fucking window. They're on like a, they're on like the second floor and the car busts through the window and drives into the room that they're in. It's like a fucking gag from Airplane. It's so good. And then it turns out they're both adopted. Yeah. Um, and I'm not sure we really get any thing about nanami after this do we not a ton in the apocalypse uh, saga no uh, a, there's we, that we, there's we that bit awful, where she, she shows up during the badminton thing yeah we get an awful little like tuga arc redemption arc that i hate uh, but nanami doesn't well, really get a resolution because the thing about tuga's redemption arc is that i don't actually think it's that much of a redemption arc um and because because the thing is and, and I, I guess we'll talk about this now, which is that that I, I was thinking about it the entire time um, in that last arc. But I don't I think that to the very end, Toga's motives remain basically unknown and that it is impossible to conclusively say whether in any given scene he's acting genuinely or because there's no like there's no character in this show that Toga is honest with all the time. You know, he lies to Akio, he lies to Utena, he lies to Sayanji, he lies to Nanami, he lies to everybody. So there's nobody, and we don't get any monologues from him. So there's no interaction that we can rely on as a source of truth for Toga. Yeah. You know, in terms of his, like, like, 
you know, it, it's like you can compare this to. I, I, I was thinking about Hamlet, and I was thinking about how in Hamlet, like Hamlet lies to everybody except Horatio, and so everything, mm-hmm. anything that Hamlet says to Horatio, we can take to be true because he's he's Horatio's in on the scheme. Uh, there is no Horatio for Toga, so when he's so like it's. I think deliberately ambiguous in the scene, for instance, where Tuga um, is trying to like romance Utena on the roof, especially because of how calculating he is in the scenes surrounding it. When he's talking to Akio and Sayanji, it is unclear how genuine his feelings are. And it's, it, he says that he believes his feelings are genuine, but it's also unclear how genuine he's being when he says that. Yeah. I mean, you can lie to himself uh, as well as anyone else. Uh, you know. Yeah. I mean, I think like, yeah, partly cause it's like the end with all the, Feds are getting tied up partly because partly because of adolescence, how he's almost a different yes. character. There. He's definitely he's totally uh, recharacterized in, in adolescence. That like it felt kind of like trying to humanize does, him at the kind yeah. of the last mile, which was like it, to me, it, it didn't feel like it was trying. It, it did feel like it was trying to humanize him. I didn't feel gross about it in particular, like like especially. I mean, because of like the, because of all of the context around it, like I felt like it was an attempt to add depth and nuance to a character who had it was it was adding depth and nuance to a character, and like both of these last two arcs and especially the last one add depth and nuance to Toga that I think is good. Like I don't think that it's good for him to be a, like a two dimensional cardboard villain. Yeah, but I mean he's been once for so long; it doesn't it doesn't really ring true. Like Sayanji is the is like the the like the misogynist the shitbag yeah like he is a real character like you want to you want to give someone like that sort of sh- like that's why yeah. I, that's that's i think that's one thing that pissed me off so much about adolescence is that they're swapped like all of a sudden Sayanji is the is the uh, misogynist caricature and tuga is like the the yeah. like character with depth it's like yeah <laughs> why it's definitely like i i I, I'm not incredibly happy with the way Toga's character is treated in the last arc, but it doesn't really ruin it for me because he's no, it, still his character is still so ambiguous. Like his character, and it, and like before his character was not ambiguous at all. His characters or his character's right. motivations were his character's motivations were mysterious, but he was unambiguously an asshole. Whereas right. now his character becomes this sort of, and I think it's an appropriate thing to do in the last arc of a show is to take a take because that. Because another thing that that Ikuhara talks about in um, in the interviews that I read with him, uh, specifically about writing the last arc of the last few episodes, was about how he wanted to surprise the audience. You know, he wanted to do whatever it was they wouldn't expect. Um, and I think that if you want to do that, that taking that like you know take, taking these these characters that you have the entire time ex- expected or had very simple ideas about, and then turning them into something more complex and ambiguous is good it's a good idea i'm just not like at least it didn't work for me like there was he didn't have like there wasn't enough ammunition to like to like make this a believable transition uh Uh, you know and i like especially like and i especially don't think that tuga is so much concerned about utena as much as he is concerned about what because and this is the thing about akio is that we don't really get a good look at what akio's motivations are you know we get some of it, yeah. some of it is revealed, but we never really learn what Akio is going to do with the power that revolutionized the world. Right. Like we never learn that, um, you know. So it's it's implied that maybe Toga does know it, or Toga just knows Akio well enough to know that it can't possibly be good, mm. um, you know. So so Toga, like, as much as he makes it about like, oh, I'm trying to protect Utena, it's also about him, his his sort of 
he has this relationship with Akio where he's they're working together, but they both know that as soon as the opportunity appears, they're going to stab each other in the back. Yeah, like they yeah, yeah. both like that relationship, and that that sort of gets sussed out in in the last two arcs is the the relationship between Toga and Akio, where Toga knows a lot more than he's been letting on the entire time. You know, yeah. he's been pretending to be just as in the dark about who end of the world is as everybody else, but he's known it all along. You know, and he's been pretending to be just in the dark about the plans and about like how this whole thing works as everybody else. But he knows and he, you know, is and that, you know, makes him it, it gives him this sort of character. It gives him a character of of like, I don't know, it, it is an interesting character to me in that he's he is very similar to Akio. They're both very similar characters in that they're both sort of purely calculating. You yeah. know, they're they're very, um, you know, like they and Akio especially like like the way that the show ends like he just doesn't give a shit anymore like he every he has this just complete distance from everything that makes him able to just like do or say horrible things all the time yeah. um you know just not really care about it uh, but anyway um, anyway uh so yeah but yeah but so so yeah so plenty of plenty more for Tuga, but nanami is pretty much uh in the in the bag at this point yeah and that's 20 that's 32 yeah and so 33 is a wrap-up episode uh, it's kind of like a recap of the of the arc and into, spliced with um like a day that uh Utena spends with akio that ends yeah up and it, it's, it's kept it's kept hidden who she's with until right. the very end of the episode right. um and the entire time i was expecting it to be choo-choo that would have been fantastic that would have been so fucking funny yeah and like yeah so this is kind of kind of the capstone of like utena like is is in love with akio yeah um but like the end scene like is remarkably well done um like uh like after they have sex and they're like it's from akio's perspective looking down on utena and like she like is like clearly very kind of freaking out about the whole thing. Oh yeah, like, she's she's kind of she's talking about like uh, what lunch to make for Auntie tomorrow. She's just she's rambling about kind of whatever comes to mind and yeah, like it's 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 pretty upsetting. Kind of like how, you see how how kind of how kind of not upset, but how how she she doesn't quite know how to process this. Yeah. Uh, uh, Cause she's young, like how like how yeah. old is Utena supposed she's to be? Like, yeah, she's like fifteen. It, yeah, and uh, Akio Akio's age is ambiguous. I kept thinking he was in like his late twenties or something like that. Yeah, uh, it's definitely it is a very creepy relationship, right. you know. Right. And like that's one thing that I really really like about this show is the way that it takes these sort of like classic sort of shoujo hot boy characters and <laughs> turns them into assholes. Yeah. You know, yeah. like it is a show about how the boys that you're supposed to like and the boys that shoujo manga make you, you know, attracted to and that, that shoujo manga casts as, as um, love interests are fucking terrible. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. You know, and, and like it's a great anecdote, a, an, an, anecdote, antidote to Karekano, where Karekano is that played super straight. Yeah. Like it's, Karekano like, is. It's just all the worst toxic shoujo tropes just down the line yeah down the line and and 
you know, Ute- watching Utena after Karikano is like, you know, Utena is about boys like, what's the fucking guy's name from Karikano? See, we can't remember. <laughs> I have no fucking clue. What's it? Whatever, whatever that dude's name is. I remembered it for an astonishing, for longer than you did, but it's, it's gone from me now. Um, <laughs> But he, like, he is, like, if he, act, like, this show is being, like, if he actually existed, he would be a fucking nightmare. You would not yeah. want to deal with him, you know? Yeah. And, like, the show does all these these sort of great things where it has, like, like, Sanji and Toga are both, like, they're, like, the hottest boys in school. Everybody loves them. Everybody talks about them, you know? Like, but we get to see a side of them that nobody else does, which is the side that they are in private, which is that they're conniving, misogynist assholes, mm-hmm. you know? And it's, it's this sort of reveal you know doing doing this sort of thing that it's like you know telling teenage girls who are who are like you know the boys that you see at school who are really hot and who everybody looks up to they're probably assholes <laughs> like they probably suck yeah yeah you know uh there's also Which is, i think important work oh yeah car phone <laughs> <laughs> yeah that's in the, that's in the same episode uh, as the um as the the ho- the, uh, the beach amusement park trip but yeah, I mean uh, that, that and that might have been why I was kind of irked by like Tuga's capstone because it it felt a little bit like maybe he's having a real genuine feelings after all. It's like the show's been before the show's been kind of like like don't don't be fooled. Yeah, uh, it's been it's one of those things that that has been like the like I definitely d- agree that I'm not super happy with this this toga character arc in the apocalypse arc it doesn't i don't i i i think it maybe should have been different um or or that that the way that it turned out isn't exactly best for the overall story um i understand where it's coming from and that it wants to it wants to sort of subvert expectations it want to turn it wants to turn these characters that you've gotten to know and and make them different than they have been in the past you know yeah. recontextualize them you know and i think that that's i i i you know, it, it, it's definitely while I was watching it, I was like, oh, shut up, Sayanji. You know, or shut, <laughs> shut up, Toga. Just like, shut up. Yeah. Just, you know. Uh, anywho, anywho. Yeah, we, 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 let's see. We're kind of getting ahead of ourselves. So, yes. Um, uh, so, yeah, so that 33 when um, Utena and Akio go on the date and have sex yes. is the end of the Akio arc. Yes, and then we get the Apocalypse Saga, the last saga of the show. Um, so. This is, uh, so I've, I've, you know, talked about this for the whole podcast, but this is my favorite arc of the show. I think it's really, really great. Um, and part of why I think it's great is structurally, like, it's focused, like, in all of the previous arcs, it's been, every episode ends with a duel. It's gotta end with a duel, you know? Whereas in this, it's like, the whole arc builds up to these two duels, one with Toga and then one with Akio. Like, the whole arc is building, and it's like, why the fuck wasn't the whole show like this? Like, why didn't you give me yeah. a good like, arc? Is there, has there anybody, has there, like, have we ever watched a show that has more filler? <laughs> no, absolutely not. And like, I want, I, I, I like, I, if I want to be charitable, I would say, like, has told its story less efficiently. But, like, sometimes there are valid reasons to tell a story kind of in a meandering, inefficient yeah. way. But this doesn't really have that excuse. Yeah. It's just, and I mean, like, just... like, I can, I can give the sort of excuse, which is, which is, the thing that I said earlier, which is that the show keeps returning to these same duels about the same conflicts because it's about how these conflicts are intractable as long as yeah. they exist within the power structure of Otori Academy. Yeah. Um, but you can do that. Faster. You don't need forty episodes to do that. No, like no, this no. show, like it's my least favorite thing about this show, and I, I, I came away from the show really liking it. Like I, I, 
I felt kind of bad about it, you know, you know, in, in the, the Akio Tori arc and in the Black Rose arc. I just sort of felt like I was kind of bored with it. But by the end of the show, I had turned around on it and I was like, you know what, actually... I'm glad I watched this, and I think that the whole sh- watching the whole show is worth it, you know, for the ending. And I, I think we're probably going to disagree on that point. But uh, I don't like there's so much, there's, there's so many like funny iconic things anyway. Yeah. Like, like I, I mean, part part of the reason why I think I was like came out of it because such a bad taste in my mouth was that like I found except for like the some parts of kind of exposition in the apocalypse arc like 34 we get a lot more about the about what actually happened in Utena's past how she met the quote the prince and Anthe but then like 35 and 36 I was just bored out of my mind yeah 35 uh, and 36 aren't super great 34 is pretty great 35 and 36 are a little bit boring and then um uh, but then 37, 38, and 39 are all, like, just nonstop. For me, they were just nonstop, just killer. Just I mean, yeah, I don't know. I, 37 was... Eh, like, well, let's... let's yeah, but let, we can get into why later. Let's, let's back up to 34, the first yeah. episode of the arc. Yes. So, uh, Utena gets invited to go see the Shadow Play girls put on a play like, diegetically. So, yeah, um, the, so the, yeah our, our little kind of Greek chorus has broken the not the fourth wall, but whatever wall separates the chorus from the actual play. Uh, and they invite Utena to um, to come see their new production. Yes, and their new production is for an audience of literally just them, of, of literally just Anthe, Utena, and Akio. And uh, then they tell the story about how uh, the story takes place when the girls of the world were princesses. The world still hadn't fallen completely into darkness then. Um... You know, and it tells the story of the a time before a before time when there were princes, and they they kept the world, they saved princesses and stuff like that, and the world had light in it. Uh, and then the prince encountered an old woman um, who informed it that there was a secret plot to take over to steal the light of the world, um, which is that which is eternal, uh, and the power of miracles and the power to bring the world revolution. Um, and then the prince is like, "Well, then I'll defeat this evil witch who's planning to steal the light." Uh, and then goes to this castle that is claimed that the witch is in, and then it turns out that it's all a, it's all a scheme. It's all it's a it's a trap to to seal to seal the prince into the castle and take the light from the world because the prince actually is the light, um, right. you know. And the prin- and the witch is is actually the prince's sister because she couldn't become a princess because she was doomed to become a witch. Um, and so that is the sort of generally accepted myth of the Rose Bride and the Witch and and the Prince and all of that stuff. This is what what most of the characters are, are operating off of. Um, and then later, then um, uh, we get a dream sequence from uh, Utena, where um, Utena remembers being a child and being in the coffin and being found by the Prince, who then shows her something eternal, and that something eternal is the witch which is like trapped in it's this like shadow of a girl trapped in glass impaled by like a million spikes yeah it's it's metal as fuck (laughs) Uh, and 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 uh the prince says like this is the rose bride yeah it's the rose oh shit yeah um and she she cannot die uh so she's constantly suffering and she's 
she's being punished for taking the prince away from the girls of the world. Uh, uh, and then we get a, but then we get another dream sequence about the real rose about the re- what really happened, which was that the prince was dying. Um, and was was sick and dying, but from still running, from, from running around after girls too too fast or what? I don't know what like, he I was know. dying of. <laughs> yeah, it's sort of we unclear. Never, we never figure it out. Um, it's probably some given given the the uh, occupational hazards of the prince lifestyle. I imagine it had to be <laughs> some sort of some sort of perhaps a sword injury. Uh, you know, third degree burn from a dragon, something like that. <laughs> um, Oh, God. But so he's dying and sick and just feels awful, but he still wants to go out and help people. And there's like an angry mob descending on their log cabin, question mark. <laughs> um, and, you know, demanding that the prince come out and save them. And so uh, Anthony says, you can't, you, you, the Rose Bride says, oh, you can't do that. You can't do that at all. Uh, so she goes outside and she says, you know, I, you know, the prince is gone. I've sealed him away where you can never touch him again. And then basically takes the blame onto herself uh, and takes the the wrath of humanity onto herself for being a witch who sealed away the prince when all she was doing was protecting the prince from um from the people who would hurt from from the people who who wanted him to put himself in danger and the prince is not is is quote no longer the prince she knew he's now end of the world he's now akio yeah so that's that doesn't really make uh, that's never really explained that kind of transformation uh in the manga i think they're like two distinct entities um but like repeatedly like uh when during these flashback sequences dios says like i am no longer like her prince or whatever i'm no longer like i can't be i can't be a prince that she can believe in anymore right and so and it's not i'm never i've never really understood why so so i i believe i i might have read this in an interview or somewhere else and I don't know if this is explicitly in the manga or in the anime. I might have read it in an interview. It might have been in front of the, the because the other thing on that Otori website is a collection of critical essays about Utena. Uh-huh. Um, so I read some of those, and they talk about how, uh, and this sort of ties into adolescence of Utena, which is is the idea of seeing the end of the world, right? That Otori Academy and the sort of surrounding area is a little bubble that is sealed off from the end of the world and that Ak- what happened to Akio is that he stopped being a prince because he saw the end of the world. Huh. Um, you know, and the end of the world being the place that they go at the end of, uh, Alice Tibetana. We'll get there. <laughs> <laughs> we'll talk about that. <laughs> um, so because he, he can't be a prince, basically he's been, he's been, I mean, like there's this sort of interesting thing in that, like there's these presented with these sort of two contrasting ways of viewing the sort of bleak landscape of the end of the world, which is one is Akio's way, which is this sort of nihilism, which is that nothing matters. Mm. I can't, there's no point in being brave or bold or anything like that in a world this awful. Without meaning. Versus, yeah, in a world without meaning versus the, uh, the Utena sort of amphi way of viewing things at the end of adolescence, which is, we can um, create our own meaning. Yeah, we can create our own meaning. It's sort of basically Akio is a modernist and Utena is a postmodernist. <laughs> um, okay. You know, like like okay. Akio is confronted with despair at seeing the end of the world, whereas Utena sees a world of possibility, that um, and that's what separates a prince from somebody who is not a prince. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. Um, so yeah, so he, the prince tells uh, Utena. But the only the only person who can save her now is a prince she can believe in. Believe in, and so that's why Utena swears to become a prince to save specifically to save the Rose Bride. 
Yeah. Um, you know, which she which she forgets she, about, and that's when she gets given yeah. the, the rose signet ring. Yeah, yeah. Um, and so we learn about this. Uh, yeah, that and that's when Diaz says, uh, "Yeah, if you never lose your nobility, we'll meet again." Uh, yeah. And that's what I was contrasting earlier with Causeway saying, "You have to lose your yeah. purity in order to to gain power or whatever." Which, which, yeah, like. Um, all right. So. So yeah, my 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 like my subheading for episode thirty five was just like was just horses question mark. Oh <laughs> Fuck yeah. If I know. Uh, this photo shoot isn't gay enough and we're all trapped in our coffins fucking deep bro uh, oh yeah there's that shot where uh, so Akio is successful at courting Utena and then Togo wants to court Utena now um, he realizes that that he's, he's in love with her or something um, and uh, he asks, basically asks her out on a date which involves horses, and he just like walks in to like the stairwell that they're all standing, and he's holding a carrot for some reason, like for the oh, whole yeah, scene. His Bugs Bunny thing. Yeah, he's doing his Bugs uh, Bunny thing, and I was just sitting there, and I was just like, "Take a bite out of that fucking carrot, dude! Bite that fucking carrot! You gotta, you oh, gotta take a bite out of that oh, carrot! You gotta take a bite out of that carrot and say some witty bullshit, or I'm gonna be so mad." I did make a gift in this where where Wakaba just like beats the shit out of oh, Utena, yeah. and I was like, like "Yes, pl- playfully, Wakaba. not so playfully, beats the shit out of Utena." The the best most like Wakaba's character who, she she is is the most like un she gets the she gets the short the, end the, of the, the, short, stick, the shortest sure. stick and she whips so much ass she's the best yeah she's awesome yeah, um, so then she Utena goes on a horse ri- horseback riding date with Toga because Toga's like I need to talk to you about something and then they're just like riding on the back of a horse and Utena's like oh you needed to talk to me about something <laughs> and like this like like. This frustrated me just for like, like Utena never learns when it comes to no. Tuga. She's <laughs> like very she dumb. always just like, and even, and even like, even like Okaba, like as all of us is is like, don't just believe whatever bullshit comes out of his mouth. <laughs> uh, um. Like, like, and that, yeah, like it's fine. It it like it's fine if this like, but the way. I think that I think that was kind of what kind of set the tone for my re- reaction to this, these two episodes. Yeah. But the other thing, the other thing that's, like, that's really interesting about this, and why I think um, I don't interpret Toga's character arc entirely as redemption, is the shadow play in this episode. Which the shadow play in this episode is uh, about a fisherman who believes that the fish only exists for me to exploit, uh, oh, yeah. and then finds that there's a fish that he that that he can't catch. Oh yeah. Uh, which like that i think reveals the real opinion that the show has because like the show uses these shadow plays to comment on the characters and comment on the interactions all the time you know i think it reveals what the show actually thinks about toga which is that toga might pretend or even have convinced himself that he's trying to court utena to protect her but he's actually doing it for his own self-interested reasons and he's after utena because she's the one girl he can't have and he's right. a he's a man who's been able to have anything that he wanted his entire life right. you know and so now that there's something that he can't have because akio has it now he wants it you know he wants it even more but if he doesn't he doesn't bite the carrot does he he does not bite the carrot i was so mad he uh, also doesn't so... uh he also doesn't do any cross-dressing uh which would would have really made a bugs bunny oh i was gonna say what what is this Final Fantasy VII re- remake? Anyways, uh, they, they go anyway. horseback riding. Um, Utena falls off yeah, the horse. And then, she go- 
yeah, she falls off the horse with Toga and it's like, this Toga guy sucks. He doesn't ride a horse slow enough for me to be comfortable. And then he goes on a horseback, then she goes on a horseback riding date with, with Akio. That's really nice. Akio catches her as she falls off. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) He's been like following them like a fucking creeper. Yeah, and then there's, like, this dialogue between Toga and Akio where Akio is, like, lounging on the floor of his observatory with a bunch of cactuses. <laughs> right! <laughs> what are the cactuses for? I have no fucking clue. Like, I'm sure if you asked Ikuhara about it, he would say something along the lines of, I'm sure I had a reason for it, but I don't yeah. remember what it was. <laughs> yeah, at some point I was going to bring up, like, the UFOs that, that start popping up the shadow play, being like, what are these about? What? Then I was like, nah, let's not, let's not. Yeah, there's so much stuff where it's, it, I can tell that, like, I'm sure that whoever drew this or whoever wrote this into the show had a reason for it. Yeah. I'm sure that that reason is inaccessible. And yeah, at the very beginning of adolescence, I was like, maybe, now what are the, what, what are the bells all about, really? And I was like, ah, I don't care. Yeah, and then the, the I, I think maybe you could interpret the cacti as some sort of symbol of, like, uh, I mean, as sort of similar to the way that the that Evangelion uses a hedgehog, which is that it's uh, something that you if you get too close to, you get hurt. Well, I thought you uh, think that can survive without water. <laughs> <laughs> Hedgehogs can't survive without water. <laughs> That's not what I was saying. <laughs> just, the, just I, was, I thought you were just. Never mind. Never mind. Anyway. Uh, um, but yeah. So like, as part of like, uh, when when. Tuka, like, convinced Utena to go on the horseback riding date. He gave her a pair of earrings that he said were from Akio. They, they had, so, they, they had, they coordinated some weird, weird pincer attack on, on her feminine sensibilities. Um, but yeah, so then she starts wearing them. And so, beginning of 36, like, everyone is starting to notice and be concerned about Utena's kind of slide from himbo to bimbo. Uh, and, she and Mickey are just like, what the fuck? Yeah, there's all there's like a a, a, a dialogue between Sayanji and uh, Toga at the end of thirty five, I believe, where Toga has like fully convinced himself that he needs to save Uchenna. Um and there's they're they're just like a bunch of like TV microphones being shoved into all their faces and like a ton of reverb <laughs> on on all of the things, and then they're just like, you remember that little girl we saw in the coffin? I think that was Utena. and then they're just like. They look up into the distance and they take a drag off a long cigarette and go, we're all trapped in our coffins. <laughs> but actually, like, their shirts are just coming undone and they've realized that we live in a society. Uh, oh, fuck. Uh, it's a, yeah, it's, it's, but like, I mean, the, the coffin world is a is, metaphor. The tr- truly the world is a vampire. The world. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but like the coffin thing, I mean, like, the, 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 you also use the coffin as a symbol for, they use the coffin as a symbol for nihilism and they use it as a symbol for, like, the sort of oppressive power structures as well, because at the end of the show, Anthony's trapped in a coffin. Yeah. Uh, and she's, you know. she's, she's trapped at the very beginning, too, right? During yeah. I think so. point in student council arc. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, the coffin thing, like, the coffin being, and, and I think that, like, like, talking about these sort of power structures as being the result of just sort of, like, cynical nihilism. Uh, uh-huh. is is the point of sort of conflating those thing, two things and using the symbols simultaneously. Mm. That's a good point. Uh, so anyway, we were talking about 36, yes. Uh, yeah, so... so... Yeah, so in 36, Toga is, is the one where basically Toga... Toga goes, has feelings. Toga has feelings and decides Asterisk. to try to court... Uh, Citation needed. 
<laughs> Sorry. <laughs> uh, and decide to try to court Utena. They go up to like the dueling arena in the middle of the night. Uh, oh yeah, and this episode also has the fucking best the scene side in the car. entire show. So it's like zooming in on like the same road that they all take their midnight drives on, but it's Toga and Sayanji, and Toga is riding a motorcycle, and Sayanji's in the motorcycle sidecar, and Sayanji says, "Well." <laughs> And, and Toga says, well, doesn't the throb of the engine feel good? And Which is what Akiyo always says, says. Yeah, and Sayanji says, not particularly. You have weird tastes. It's not good. <laughs> and then... Like, the most, like, the most, like, most, like, like, bargain bin version of Akio and his car. <laughs> yeah, seen? it's so fucking funny. And then Sayanji, <laughs> like, stands straight up and T-poses to assert dominance in his motorcycle sidecar. Yeah, yeah instead of flipping over the windshield and, and ghost riding, he, he does a fucking T-pose. He just fucking T-poses to assert dominance. And then, and then Toga says something like, you need to get down, that's not safe. He's like, oh. He's yeah. Like, oh. yeah. And then he sits down. <laughs> it's, it's the funniest fucking thing. Oh, it's so fucking good. It, yeah, yeah. Oh. This show, like, when it... This show is... One thing I didn't expect going into the show is how funny it is. Right. Like, when this show is, be, is, it... is consistently really funny. Um, you know, sometimes, sometimes it... it but like whenever it's trying to make a joke it's always pretty, pretty yeah the com- funny. comedic timing is brilliant yeah it's just great comedic timing just great writing just great like and just the the gestures and the way that they animate them it's all so good like the because he looks like the look on his face in the t-pose picture in the t-pose <laughs> shot is he's just so serious like and him both him and toga are both like they're both completely straight face and the void the line reads are all like com- they're completely serious anyway um, yeah, and then Utena is like, I've never, they go to the dueling arena where Toga, like, tries to, like, court Utena, and she's like, I've never come to the dueling arena at night before, and it's like, yes, you fucking have, remember when Sayanji, <laughs> kid- remember when Sayanji kidnapped Anthe, and you had to come here to save her in the middle of the night? Remember that, like, that happened? Don't, don't, don't most of the duels take place in the evening? No, they take place, they, uh, yeah, they take place in the evening, but not at night, they take place at, like, I don't know, 4pm. Oh, uh, but yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, the kidnapping bit. <laughs> yeah, the kidnapping bit. It's like, yeah, you've been to the, you've fucking been here at night. <laughs> Oops. Uh, so, so how, like, I forget. Lieutenant doesn't actually grow a spine and just flat out reject him, right? What actually happens? Uh, I've, in I've already forgotten. I, she does basically just reject him. Like she does, Ew. like not like flat out. But she she's clearly like nervous about the situation, um, but like she so she doesn't like put her foot down or anything like that. But she does like turn him down basically. Um, yeah, I don't I don't have screenshots of the exact the exact wording. Yeah, uh, it's not important. <laughs> yeah, it's not it's not super important. But yeah, so then she duels with Sayanji. Um, you know, and it's like if you, if I win, you must become my woman, is what he says. Because he's still an he's, he's still an asshole. Um, he's and still Sayanji. Yeah, this is the final the final duel, who will, which will decide who will who will bring the world revolution. Wait, are we talking uh, about Sayanji or Tuga? Tuga, sorry. Yeah, I was like, wait yeah, a minute. I 
That no. that honestly sounds more like a Sionji thing, so I got confused yeah. for a second. Yeah, Tuga, sorry, I miss I misspoke. There's this and there's this amazing moment in the duel where Tuga is like they're like Utena's like, I don't really want to have to fight you, and then Tuga's like, personal feelings are forbidden in combat, Miss <laughs> Tenjo. And it's like literally every single duel has been about personal feelings. That's yeah, literally yeah. the whole thing we've been doing. Every single fight in this is like a fucking Errol Flynn movie where you guys are just talking to each other the whole time. <laughs> And then there's just this completely out of control moment where like a million cars drive into the dueling arena and Utena slashes them all in half with her sword and all the cars fly off the edge of the dueling arena. Uh, Yeah, I I wrote my notes, rip all the cars, and I'd forgotten what that was about. (laughs) Yeah, so like Sayanji like somehow redirects the flow of cars towards Utena and she like like just holds up the sword and parts the red sea like fucking yeah Moses. it's straight up the dumbest thing i've ever seen it, it's, <laughs> it's amazing and then like sayanji and toga like drive their fucking motorcycle sidecar at at her uh and then she she knocks both of them out and there's this moment we haven't talked about the song lyrics because they're i mean i i I should. We mentioned know, them in the first episode, I think. Yeah, we we, we, mentioned, we talked about them in this first episode. We haven't talked about them in this episode because they're exactly as batshit. Yeah. Um, but I do want to point out that during this car sequence, what the the chorus is singing is allegory, allegory, or allegoriest. Oh my god! Yeah, I forgot I had my notes during I think juries bit. Like at one point, they scream hermaphroditism. Uh, Yo, yeah, I took a picture of that. I was like, what the fuck, What the fuck is going on? Uh, Um, So, yeah, the the dual battle lyrics continue to be completely normal. Yeah, they're having... Whoever wrote the lyrics for the... It's having a very normal one. (laughs) Um, They are are Tuga, the most normal high school boy. uh, Student council president and totally normal boy. Okay, so she 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 wins, and then um, so and then that evening she returns home to see uh, and gets up in the middle of the night to like I don't know get a glass of water or something, uh, and oh, sees okay. Auntie and Akio sees. having sex. Right. So yeah, so Tuga and 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 Sayanji are both like, well, we had our we had our three chances each as dictated by the narrative, and we fucked it up. So let's go cohabit a bike together and just <laughs> commiserate um, and, and they which they do um, I guess that's episode 37 when you see them doing a weird weird um, bike cohabitation which bike is a callback cohabitation. <laughs> to, which is a callback to when they the flashback when they found Utena at, at the funeral uh, and they were riding bikes um even because because Tuga even says like when's the last time we rode bikes together? Oh oh fuck right yeah so yeah this this whole sequence at this at the student council place where Tuga is like trying to pedal this bike and Sayanji is just like sitting on the back wheel keeping it from moving. <laughs> is he keeping it from moving? It's like it's like... only moving very slightly. Like Tuga is putting in a lot of effort and moving yeah. inches. I thought he was just sitting on the back, like, like no, they no. That he is like actively preventing the bicycle That's from moving. So funny. Uh, uh, it's a metaphor. What? Uh, metaphors, you say. Speaking anyway. of metaphors, um, at the beginning of episode thirty-seven, uh, Utena takes off her ring. Yes. I forget why. 
because of what she saw with Anthea and Akio, where she basically, like, she's just having this crisis, and she decides, I just saw Akio having sex with his sister. That means that I should give up my dreams of becoming a prince and a duelist and just have sex with Akio. Cool! And it's like, uh, yeah. Yeah. It's sort of it's sort of a, a re a rehash of the the like the episode in the Sweet Council saga where she decides to give up uh uh because she loses to Tuga and then Makaba has to right get her, whip, her, whip her back into shape. Okay, so yeah, so this is what I was going to talk about. Like um, later on, um, like the first and only time Utena and Anthony have actually a real conversation. Uh, Utena is like. Yeah, when I saw you and Akio, like, instead of, like, helping you or, feel, like, talking to you, asking, like, I felt betrayed and kind of turned away from you. And I was like, when did you do that? You guys never, like, actually have normal interactions to begin with. And I guess it's this ring thing, I guess, was supposed yeah. to represent that. But, yeah, like, part of my problem with this climax is that, like, there the 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 foundation for it wasn't there uh, like utena and anthe's relationship doesn't has never been like represented yeah it has literally i don't know what you're talking about because literally every evening for the past arc and a half they've held hands and had a mom and had a dial- in the gay bed and talk to me and like literally there was that there was that conversation that Utena has with Akio about um how Auntie's really important to her you know where she's trying to clearly not I mean, say th- saying someone is important to you is different than like but actually like, but like think about the visual of the situation like Utena is clearly very embarrassed when she's talking about it because she clearly like really cares about Utena in like a gay way but like isn't like ready to acknowledge it yet like that's sort really obviously what's happening in that scene I know but Uh, we haven't like seen what do you want like what do you want (laughs) I want literally like any sort of kind of the the two of them not not them talking to Akio about the other one but like I want to actually see their relationship grow like we you get to see the relationship to... grow in the gay bed scenes and also but, in all of the other no, scenes we... where they interact with each other all the time like I don't understand there's tons of scenes where the relationship is built like I just don't under, I don't understand when, what you're like, talking about in the, when the, in the gay bed they hold hands and kind of like vaguely dance around issues. Uh, yeah, because they're fucking 15. But I'm saying that doesn't, like, I feel no sense of their relationship. But, like, even if that doesn't do it for you, there's lots of other interactions that they have where it's just them talking to each other. Or the stuff that happens in the later episodes of the show where Uten- where Anthe tries to jump off of, jump out of the window and, yeah, that's and Utena the, saves that's her. The, that's the first time they, like, actually talk about real things with each other. Like... I don't. Like, I just don't understand what you expect from these teenagers. Literally anything. Like this is like it's so oh. like I because I just don't. I just don't under. I just don't. I literally. I can't understand where you're coming from because to me, they've been building the relationship for the entire show. There's tons of scenes of them interacting with each other. There's tons of scenes of them about, becoming about, friends. No, their relationship about growing. Of consequence though. They never. They never. What is what constitutes consequence? No. Huh. What constitutes consequence? 
Like, like is is them literally sharing a bed with each other not consequence? Is them promising each other that they're that they're gonna still be friends ten years from now not consequence? If is them is Otena literally fighting other people to defend Anthe from sometimes literal death not consequence? Like what's gonna be good enough for you? Well, I'll 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 I'll, I'll work on my answer, um, but we should probably talk about thirty seven first. Good lord. I just, I, I just, I'm just, I, I, I'm just saying, I, I, like their relationship, I at no point ever like had any, like, I never felt anything towards their relationship. Like at, at no point did it feel real to me. At no point did it like that did sounds it like seem a you problem. Maybe it is, but like if because I managed to go forty episodes without like having a single like feeling about this about the two main characters i had a lot of feelings about the two main characters you know i i liked their relationship i really believed it you know especially as it grew and changed and as you know i saw the way they interacted changed and they spend more time together and utena becomes more used to the idea of having anthe around you know and then and the sort of change of them going from sleeping in separate bunk beds to them sleeping in the same bed and like all of these interactions that range from serious interactions like the ones they have at night and the ones that they sometimes you know and the ones they sometimes have during duels to the more lighthearted interactions that they sometimes have while cooking dinner or while anthe's watering the flowers like all of this stuff it felt like it painted a picture of a holistic relationship to me like these people felt like friends well, I mean, it didn't for me at all. So I don't know. Yeah, I just, I I don't know why not. Because it, I, like, there's just so, there's so much of this show is dedicated exclusively to building that relationship. I mean, literally none of it resonated with me. I don't, uh, I don't know what to tell you. Me neither. But I would just say that it's there. Um, and I, I'm, I'm unwilling to I mean, sort of. There is, like, there is content of them, like, together it just none of it felt like it created an like an interesting or emotionally compelling dynamic i'm just like paint paint like if you can just like paint a picture for me because i literally can't imagine what this show could have done any more or different i don't know look at literally look at like any other show <laughs> that we've watched where there are relationships look at the relationships of the of like the sub characters to each other like all of their relationships felt more real than this. I don't think that that's true. I think they all felt about the same amount of real. Like, I I just don't think that that's true. I mean, probably part of it is that like, I don't know. I like I never like Utena. I mean, Anthe never really felt like a fully fleshed out character to me either. Oh, I think Even- and especially in the second half that we just watched, I I feel like Anthe gets fleshed out a lot. Um, and we spend a lot more time with her in the in these in these episodes as well. Like she gets. You know, I, like her characterization is subtle. Like it's not very on the nose or whatever. Like she doesn't fit neatly into any character archetypes or anything like that. Like I just, I, I just don't know. I just, I don't know what to tell you. Like I just don't, I don't, uh, I don't know how to defend the fact that this show made me care about these people. I mean, you, you don't have did. to. Like it, like it did for you. That's and that's great. Like it, it didn't for me, and that's why I was so. That's why I didn't really like it. Ah. Uh. Yeah, so 37, uh, Utena puts on a dress and goes, um, and goes on a date with Akio, uh, basically, and basically, like, she talks, like, Utena had, this is where she has a conversation with, uh, Miki, Jerry, and Nanami during the badminton thing, 
um, where she 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 really begins to think about how much she cares about Utena, and then Anthe tries to jump out of the window and and yeah, tries she tries to escape the situation. Um, and Utena decides basically in this scene, you know, because I feel like this this scene because because to me it feels very real that two fifteen year olds aren't talking very directly about the sort oh, of complex sure. emotional like, issues in their relationship. Like you know? no, like like the facts of the of like that that they that they like have trouble communicating. That's obviously you know. true but and like so the then, way and it and then it makes sense to me that there's a climactic moment near the end of the show where something major happens and they are forced to confront those the sort of elephant in the room right no i like, know like yeah like obviously like that like it makes sense that like you would have two like emotionally immature characters who it takes a crisis for them to be like open with each other but like at no point did like I mean, I'm just gonna read. I mean, it, like, like there's, like I said, like I did, I didn't, I never felt like there was a real relationship to begin with, and so like when we, when they finally kind of like understood each other, that all of a sudden it was like, oh, this is supposed to be a climactic moment, but like, I, 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 I don't care. That okay? <laughs> like, yeah. I'm sorry because I had a better experience than you. Yeah. Because no. like, yeah, like it felt. Because like I've totally had interactions exactly like the one that Lieutenant and Anthony had in that in that, no, in that like situation. The, like that you know? that conversation is great, and like it's just that it's just that like n- I at no point did I what like in the run up was I primed to kind of like have well because to me it felt like it response felt like to it. It, it to me it felt like a response to a criticism that, or like a comment that, uh, that we brought up in the first episode we were talking about Utena. Um, defending Anthe. Yeah, the she explicitly says that. Yeah, that's great. Like I remember that because yeah, when she's talking, uh, you know, she was like, like, I, I never noticed really how much you were suffering. About you. Yeah, I, you know, uh, I kept acting like, like I was a no- I kept acting like I was a noble prince who would save you. My protecting you was just for my ego. Yeah, and yeah, we, it, we, yeah we, we touched on exactly that point at yeah, the beginning. Exactly like, that, and it, and it, uh, it was so uh, fucking awesome to see that like literally brought oh, up and no. addressed in the show. Like yeah, look, th- like th- their conversation, like is very good like that scene in isolation is very good it's just i did not feel like it the build-up for it was sufficient that's what that's what i'm saying like i have no i have no real problem with the last two episodes i just feel like i like i was so unsatisfied by everything that came before it that it that it doesn't it didn't it there's didn't a tone shift there's definitely a tone me. shift there's a definitely a tone shift in the last uh in the last arc that yeah. for me, like especially like episode thirty four, basically primed me for what the rest of the this, the series was going to be, right? Mm-hmm. Like like at that point, I was like, okay, it's serious time now. Like oh for sure, you know, like we're 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 in wrap up mode. It's serious time. Like I understood what was going to be coming. So that to me felt like enough of a way to sort of re- it, raising the stakes and sort of recontextualizing prior interactions in the context of new interactions that then made it like okay well i buy this now like i i can buy in now because you've you've raised the stakes sufficiently enough that i can believe that this stuff is going to happen yeah i mean no i mean like i i I saw where things were headed it was like it's more just like but i mean raised like like kind of it's not about not necessarily about seeing where things are gonna are, are headed it's it's about like like me for me it felt I was able to emotionally feel like the buildup paid off, like the buildup was okay because of the rest of the apocalypse arc, which sort of 
put okay. things in context and and shifted sort of the tone of the series in a way where I came to feel like oh yeah yeah okay I can I can buy this I can feel like it's okay um, huh. you know I can I can I can I can buy this emotionally um, huh. and, and accepted the scene and like because it, it, it shifted and recontextualized the relationship and and really especially it centered Anthe in a way and made her into a more of a character and like centered her struggle and her suffering in a way that the show hadn't before um you know and thinking about that then made me realize then made you know the the sort of end sequence make sense to me huh. um, i mean like i don't i i like the backstory stuff because it was so kind of like barnacled over with metaphor i want to say i didn't get much of an emotional reaction out of it like it was just too overladen with like the weird kind of fantasy metaphors that they're playing with well anyway uh Mm. moving on that's that's basically what happens in episode 37 so episode 38 we get the the duel uh between akio and atena where atena goes to the uh goes to the dueling arena for the last time akio reveals himself as end of the world and and as the prince and the orchestrator of all the duels and then uh he tries to convince utena he tries to like convince utena not to be a prince but to be his princess and you know give him the sword uh because she like pulls us he like pulls a sword out of her chest or something like that and then she has the sword he put yeah he puts in a dress pulls out a um and then pulls out a sword and he's like all right girls don't use swords yeah and she's like that shit over and and yeah trad cat trad cat hakio uh and then and then she's like fuck that actually um and then oh, and she, okay well yeah well, so, so, oh, hold on so, there's, a, there's a bit in the re- when he kind of reveals his grand scheme yes because he um, reveals so there was there was there's an amazing moment in one of the earlier episodes i think 36 or 37 whichever one she goes on a date with akio in 37 um where akio like they're sitting on the car and looking up at the stars and akio admits he didn't give a shit about space he doesn't give, give a fuck about he doesn't give a fuck yeah. about space or stars um and he's been pretending because one thing that we we haven't really touched on is akio sort of main one of akio's main character traits is that he's an astronomer and that he knows he has this huge planetarium projector in his house that he uses all the time to look at to observe the stars um and then in this episode so at first i was like have you just been pretending to care about stars to pick up chicks <laughs> uh, to build your harem to build your harem and then uh, and then it's revealed, no, he's been pretending to care about stars as cover for having a huge planetarium projector because he's using the planetarium projector to project the illusion of the dueling arena onto the highest floor of the tower, which yeah. doesn't quite make sense, but I'll roll with it. Yeah, I know. <laughs> like, uh, it's, just, it's, it's, it's just wacky enough to be like, all right, all right. All right, sure. Did. Yeah, okay. All right. Uh, like, it, it doesn't quite make sense because it's like, you can't, I mean, like, the, you could still see the planetarium projector, right? Like... You can't you can't hide that. Well, no, no, because that that is that it's disguised as the castle in the sky, right? No, the castle in the sky is projected onto the ceiling by the planetarium. Oh, okay. and also <laughs> that wouldn't it wouldn't be a castle in the sky; it would be a castle on the ground, <laughs> which isn't as, which isn't nearly as special. Look, <laughs> it doesn't make total sense. Okay, it, it doesn't it doesn't quite make sense, but like fine, okay, <laughs> I'll buy it. Um, yeah. You know, because now it's sort of taking apart its own myths and constructions about princeness and revealing them all to be a fiction, you know, yeah. about all of these duels, about all of the, the sort of princely things that Utena thinks are important are just all just a fiction, you know, yeah. um, and sort of trying to get to the core of what it means to be a prince. And so she duels with, with Akio 
uh, for for quite some time, and then Amphi comes over to to Utena, and it looks like she's she's like sort of hiding behind her from Akio, and like Utena oh, can defend right. her, and then. At the very end of the episode, Anthe take, picks up a sword and stabs her. Stabs Utena uh, right through and runs her through yeah. the sword. Uh, but so um, you, you mentioned Akio say that like no princess in eternities. Uh, yeah. Did you say that? Did you say that that's what he said, or that's what the like we find out? Because I mean, when he said there's no princess and no eternities, I read that as the same as Tuga saying there's no true friendship. Kind of in the in mm. this kind of the cynical sense of like grow up, see what the real world is like. Uh, um, so I think that that Akio is a little Akio's point is a little closer to the truth um, in terms of there being no princes and no eternities. But like, it's be- like I think what the the planetarium projector thing is basically a metaphor for the constructed nature of the power structures of the, the, the duels and that Otoria Academy represents. Yeah, yeah, like like the fact that like literally just like some dude made this stuff up. Right. Right. You right. Know? Um, you know, and that, and that, um, it's not no so much that there's no such thing as a, as a, as a prince or something eternal. It's that the conceptions, because I, I wasn't specifically talking about Akio saying that I was, I was talking about like, like the idea that all of these sort of shoujo manga sort of myths and conceptions are just that they're myths. They're oh, completely... for sure. I mean, like the whole point of the show is for Utena to kill the prince in her head, in her head. Yeah. Uh, and so, yeah, but yeah, but and so, but with Akio saying it, it's a kind of a double meaning. Uh, yeah, uh, yeah, because he definitely is this sort of cynical weirdo, right? Yeah, and like in in one of the I think thirty three, episode thirty three, um, like you see Akio driving and he's like on with his, using his car phone to talk to the, the shadow puppets who are doing their radio show. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. And they're like, which of these things is eternity? Um, I forget what the first one is. Then, like, a, oh, I have a, a screenshot be- of that, but a beautiful memory or canned seal a canth. And no, can- like, seal a canth was a miracle. Oh yeah, and in that Which sense, was- like, like in the, se- in the second sense of like a like a a memory, like if you think of it of eternities in the kind of in that sense, uh, like stripped from kind of the the shoujo kind of or fantasy trappings then there are such things it's just it's just yeah. they're 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 things that exist in the real world but of course memories aren't eternal eventually there will come a day when every single human being left to remember that there was ever anybody but it, this does sort of connect to i mean this connects to pathologic too which you were just playing on stream where <gasps> oh a lot of uh sort of what pathologic 2 talks about at the end of it is the way that um where like Mark Immortal and in sort of the monologue in sort of his dialogue at the end of the game talks about like how do you defeat death? You defeat death by constructing something that exists beyond any one person, you know, which can be a town, it can be, you know, a cultural object, it can be the polyhedron, it can be you know, something more, but all that matters is that you construct something that lives longer than a person, that contains yeah. a little piece of you, and that's how you you get immortality. Mm-hmm. Uh you know, and, and this is sort of a, a pretty common idea, and I've always disliked it because it's it's um, I've always disliked the idea that that memory, or as long as people remember you or something that you did, uh, it means you live forever. Uh, I know it's, it's not really it's not like because it's not true. one because it's not literally true, and also because I think that like your the the value of a life does a weird not selfishness cons- about it. There's a, there's a weird selfishness about it, and like it the sort of like it implies that. 
lives have value insofar as they create lasting memories you know yeah. and i think all the time like um there's this this is john boy's documentary called the bob emergency uh where he talks about the rise and fall of athletes named bob um <laughs> where he basically talks about how as far as he can tell the first athlete with the name bob appeared in the 19 in the 1850s and since then we have had a steady a steady number of bobs and currently there are only nine bobs left remaining uh as and professional now. athletes and they're probably within the next few decades we're probably not going to have any bob bob <laughs> athletes named bob anymore um and i mean it's amazing it's in two parts it's like it's like it's like two hours long it's a fucking amazing go watch the bob emergency but in it he talks about um, he, he tries to bring up some of the most obscure bobs that he can possibly find. Uh, and one of them is this guy who wrestled in Florida under the name Bob Cyclone, um, oh who literally the only thing, the only information that we have about Bob Cyclone is his, his match history, which is that he fought in like 20 matches and lost every single one of them, almost all of them by knockout. Oh um, and every single like he just kept coming out of there like he would take a break for a few months and just go back out there again and get the shit beaten out of him and then go out there the next night and get the shit beaten out of him and he just kept doing it and it's like if it weren't for us literally nobody would contemplate the existence of Bob Cyclone like nobody <laughs> thinks about it and then he also talks about impossibly a wrestler who wrestled at uh, or, or an MMA fighter who fought at Deep Cage Impact in Japan uh, inexplicably and bizarrely under the name Bob Bob. Um, and this is the only, this is the only record of this individual's existence. Uh, you know, the only time anybody has ever contemplated this man who fought under the name Bob Bob was in an undercard fight where he got his ass kicked by a Japanese MMA fighter in 2010 and then oh just, just gone from the historical record. Like, and I, I, and I think about that all the time, and I think about, like, well, there's those people, but, like, it's, there must be infinite more, you know, okay. there must be infinite more Bob Cyclones in this world who we just don't know about. And so you to, know, to celebrate those who just by kind of, like, the luck of the draws, right, you know, and I think about this even more, like, when we go, you know, further and further back in history, you know, like, the, or not even that far back in history, you know, like, 90% of all silent films are gone, we don't know what they yeah. were. You know, not, you know, and if you go back, you know, you read, uh, who's the fucking guy who wrote Oedipus the King. Who's that fucking guy? Uh, Aeschylus or Oedipus or Sophocles? Sophocles, that dude. No, Sophocles. Oedipus? <laughs> yeah, Oedipus wrote, Oedipus wrote, wrote a play about himself. Uh, very impressive Very impressive for a blind man. I was, think, I was thinking Euripides. Oh, yeah, Euripides. Um, no, but Sophocles. So, like, Sophocles, he wrote, like, 30 plays, and we know what the names of most of them were, and we have three of them. Right. You know? We have Oedipus the King, we have Antigone, and we have one other one that I forget the name of. Like, that's it. <laughs> you know that's all we got you know there's there's just like like the idea of of memory as a as a kind of eternity just it just doesn't it just doesn't exist you know so and sophocles was like we all everybody agrees that like oedipus the king is basically the best ancient greek play and like this dude if he wrote that and antigone's really good like if he wrote, if he wrote these you know like surely he must have had others and it and like he was really popular and famous in his time and yeah. it didn't fucking matter you know yeah. CF the uh, Library of Alexandria. CF, yeah, CF Library of Alexandria. Yeah, it doesn't matter. Yeah. Like, it doesn't matter what the memories are. Um, all, all is lost in the sands of time. Uh, um, speaking of speaking of John also, Boys, and but Eternity, also you can... Oh, he, he, <laughs> now, now I just want to re recommend seventeen thousand seventeen seventy six oh, or seventeen thousand seven hundred seventy six as my book. 
Uh, <laughs> I'm not going to. Uh, uh, but yeah, but, but read it. It's a, it's a brilliant. Yeah, uh, it's great. Uh, bit of but fiction. yeah, the um, um, but like the idea that there's no such thing as eternity is, I mean, like it definitely connects to like Buddhism in a lot of ways. Mm. We've talked about we've talked about Buddhism a lot on this program, um, and being okay, like in a, in a lot of ways, like we can see that like. Like these characters, like Akio or like Tuga, who or or Juri, even or all these characters say, "There's no such thing as eternity." All of these people are also seeking eternity, right? Yeah. Like they yeah. they are all obsessed with it, even though they think that it doesn't exist. They're all obsessed with seeking it. And what Utena has that they don't is acceptance that there is no such thing as, as eternity, right? Mm-hmm. That like you know Akio is deluded into thinking that the power to revolutionize the world will give him access to eternity in the castle or whatever. Yeah. Um, but Utena has no such delusion. She's literally just here to protect Anthe. And it doesn't matter to her that her and Anthe won't be around forever. It doesn't matter that, you know, all of this is fleeting. You know, she is sort of the the ideal Buddhist hero um, <laughs> in that what she understands. Um, I literally, fuck, what's the name? There's a, there's a, a word for somebody who's studying to become a Buddha. Bodhisattva. That's the fucking word. Uh... Um... So yeah, a, a bodhisattva is a Buddhist who is on their way to becoming a Buddha. And the word Buddha in uh, Hindi means teacher. Or it's in Sanskrit, mm. it means teacher. Or enlightened mm. one. Um, so a bodhisattva is somebody who is on their way to become a Buddha. And I, I remember reading about, you know, the idea that Utena is a bodhisattva. Yeah. Um, Before she can do that, she needs to figure out what to do about this stab wound through her chest. Because before we got distracted, uh, Anthony stabs her at the end of episode 38. Yes. Uh, the note for that that I wrote is, holy shit, what the fuck? <laughs> um, and this is, the, between episode 38 and 39 was the first time that I had ever been engaged enough with the show to want to watch the next episode immediately. <laughs> um, so they, so, th- so the episode 37 ends with the stabbing and then, um, Anthe goes to give the sword to Akio and then, you know, contemplates it for a good long while. Um, and then Akio takes the sword and goes over to this big stone door covered in roses and starts to hit the door with the sword. Oh, while oh, Anthe uh, serves her purpose to um, to Akio, which is that she uh, she takes the, the stabs from the million swords which shine with human hatred. <laughs> it is so fucking over the top. It is amazing. It's yes. Yeah, um, so yeah, just like back in the the weird um, flashback where she took the fall um, and and claimed that she sealed away the prince so that um, her brother could like not be worked to death by the weird mob outside the house again akio takes the swords so that uh anthe takes the swords so that akio can now do whatever he wants which i guess is whacking a a stone with a sword yeah and so so utena is like lying on the ground while akio just like hits this door with a sword over and over again and and anthe gets stabbed over and over again with the swords and utena like finally after after this like weird scene where the prince rides by on a carousel horse uh, and taunts her uh, for, for not having the power. And then she summons the strength to to get up, despite the fact that she's been stabbed 
uh, by a sword. She's been run through the shroud and she walks all the way down at, to, to where Akio is. And Akio, he breaks the sword on the door and it's just like, ah, shit, guess this one won't work. Uh, and then you get, you get sort of like the, one of the best reveals of this, this arc, which is that the, the, these duels have not happened once. Right. You know, Akio just keeps doing this over and over and over again and getting swords from people as part of this bizarre ritual, specifically so that he can open this door, over, try and open this door. And he's tried, he's apparently tried this God knows how many times before, and will tr- continue to try this God knows how many times after. I made a joke about the spoon bending being with the, with the Matrix got it, but like this is literally like the reveal in the second Matrix. Oh. Uh, when like we learn that like neo is just like the last of many like people designated the one uh and that it's just been like a cycle that's been run through for like who knows how many years interesting and And yeah that is that is literally this wow i didn't i didn't actually i didn't actually make that connection until just now um and so then utena akio is like well i don't do that just die in peace Utena, uh, and then Utena just tells her to fuck off. Well, she doesn't say anything; she's dying. So, but then she just walks past him, and then he's like, "All right, well, I'll let her, let her, let her work herself out." Uh, and so she walks over to the door and just tries to force it open. Uh, and then he he's like lounging on the dueling arena, watching her like <laughs> sipping a tropical cocktail. Like he's just like fucking. And I read in one of the interviews with Ikuharo where he said that that scene was supposed to represent uh, him sucking the life force out of Utena and Amphi. All right. Yeah. Fine. Like okay, sure. Um, it's also like it's it's also just really funny and is just this yeah. like incredible like just illustration of just like the intense callousness yeah yeah that's true um of akio uh and so and he says and he says seeing you is like seeing myself in the past i thought persistence had merit that it was the best way to change the world but that but just that cannot change anything without power you're doomed to live life dependent on another i've taken enough risks to win the power to change the world that's how the world works and then she screams shut up (laughs) and then he he takes a sip from his cocktail and of course, he hasn't changed the world. He's just built. No. His, he's just built this little like bizarre, like rinky dink world. Yeah, and 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 to a certain extent, like he he's right when he says that mere persistence cannot change anything. What you actually need is power. But he has managed to convince himself that what he has is power and not the yeah. illusion of power. Yeah. You know, whereas the real Utena, power is yeah, friendship. your real power is actually friendship or lesbian romance. Actually, and yeah, and so when she, when when Utena realizes that. Uh, she's like, Kimimiya, you still don't know that the only time I've been truly happy was when I was with you. And Utena still didn't know that until that moment either. And then she, because yeah. that's when, like, she starts crying, and those tears of self knowledge are what it takes to open the door. She starts crying gate. and sweating and then sweating and crying because she's trying to really hard to open the door and also yeah. dying. Um, <laughs> and then she, yeah, the tears open the door, and then um, she, she, the door turns into a coffin and now she's opening the coffin and inside the coffin is Amphi. Yeah. Uh, and Akio is like, holy shit, what the fuck? She got that far? I've never gotten that far. I've never no gotten fair. to the coffin part. <laughs> um, and she's forcing open this incredibly heavy coffin door um, and, and she reaches in uh, to try to get Amphi to take her hand and then Amphi is like, no, if I come out of the coffin, then all those knives are going to come after you. Uh, all the million swords that shine with human hatred, they're going to come after you. Um, 
And she's like, I don't give a shit. I don't give a shit or a fuck. That's what she says. I'm quoting her directly. Uh, and and then she she grabs Ampy's hand, and then just as uh, and just as their hands are touching, the the platform that the coffin is on breaks, and Ampy falls to the ground. And then all of the swords come to Utena and destroy the dueling arena. Uh, then we talk about uh, and then there's like some sort of flash forward scene or like some some montage scenes of like various students talking about Utena and being like, "Who was Utena again?" And then there's a just the saddest fucking scene and saddest fucking shot in maybe the entire show, which is Wakaba uh, or or Wakaba looking out the window like Utena used to, and then Wakaba's new best friend jumping uh and like nearly knocking her out of the window it's so fucking (laughs) sad um you know and she's like do you have a birthday present for me your best friend and it's like oh god poor Uh, utena um and then akio is like so little time has passed but they're all forgetting she even existed uh, and as I thought, she caused no revolution to occur. Now that she's gone, she's just one more sad leftover in this world. I've restarted the rules of the Rose Crest. I'll be counting on you, Anthe. Um, and then Anthe is basically like, you really don't know what happened, do you? Um, and, and, and she's like, by all means, stay in this cozy coffin of yours and continue to play Prince. But I have to go now. And he's like, go, go, go where? Uh, and then she, he, and then Anthe says, she isn't gone at all. She's merely vanished from your world. Um, and then she leaves and puts on a very 90s outfit. Oh hell yeah! Uh, so there's uh, Chihiro Saito says in this in the interview in the director's commentary for episode thirty nine. She says uh, the furo the furoshiki, which is the cloth sack that Chuchu is carrying when they're leaving, is a part of Japanese culture. When you leave when you leave the house, you always wrap your things in a furoshiki. And then uh, Ikihara says, yes, back in the day in Japan, there used to be this common practice where you would disappear into the night when you couldn't pay your debts back. When you were going to run off, you'd always rack your household items that you wanted to take with you in a furoshiki, hoist it under your back, and run. That was the tradition. What is the tradition? What kind of tradition is that? <laughs> um, uh, so Choo Choo doesn't pay his taxes is basically the point. <laughs> Choo Choo commits guilty of tax fraud. Yeah, Choo Choo, much like Yoshi, does not pay his taxes. Uh, yeah, so like, um, yeah, I was looking at the man- manga again, and it's awfully similar, um, except that Utena and Akio stab each other, and then Dios appears... And Utena like transcends and merges with him, uh, and then kind of kisses Akio goodbye and disappears from this uh, this earthly plane. And then it cuts it cuts forward again, but um, basically the same except like Anthe is the school prince instead of Utena. Yeah, uh, and then only Tuga. Rem- only she and Tuga remember who Utena was, uh, and then Anthe pieces out. Yeah, and there's there's an amazing bit in this interview, uh, uh, later on in this interview, where uh, Ikuhara says, uh, I was so let down when the last episode was aired. Uh, and then Saito asks, why? There's so much detail, and the art was beautiful. And, uh, and he says, the art was detailed, but I wonder which part it was. After the story and the ending credits finish scrolling, there's a shot of a picture of Utena and Anthe. That picture is shown in a way where you wonder if that's a scene from maybe ten years later. And then a commercial was supposed to come on, and it was supposed to signify that it was over. That's what I planned. I was watching the show as it was getting aired, and the picture came out, and I was like, it's over. But then a commercial for the Utena game came on. <laughs> and you couldn't tell when the anime actually ended. Utena's face oh just popped back on. God. After watching it for a while, it said, Utena the video game on sale now. And I was like, when did the anime end and when did the commercials start? The instinct oh was just completely God. ruined. 
Oh my god. That's so funny. Um, and he's like, I couldn't tell what it ended. I can't tell if I can't tell what it ended, and I'm the one who made it, then how are the viewers gonna be able to tell? <laughs> uh, and then that sucks. uh and then uh Chihiro Saito says, Really? I was able to tell, and he was like, I was so shocked when it happened. She says, The viewers see the commercial every time they watch it, so it's okay. I'm sure they were able to tell. And he says, No, that's not the point. At the time I was so furious at the producer at the advertising agency, I hunted him down and gave him a piece of my mind as I said, What the hell were you thinking? And he said, Oh right, that did happen. That pissed me off even more. And then he continued, I guess we should have changed it. I was thinking, if you noticed, you should have changed it. <laughs> Oh, it's so funny. It's so funny. Um, and that's when he talked about, um, when, like, the, the moderator asked, when did the plans to do a full-length movie come up? And he said, I think the idea was getting tossed around about doing a movie at this time. Um, and then the moderator asked, what kind of parallels and changes were you going to make in the full-length movie version? And he said, I wasn't thinking about it at all. Uh, and he says, I think we made an ima- the announcement in a magazine right after the TV series was over. I vaguely remember the day after the TV series was over, we announced that we were going to be doing a movie in a magazine. And then Saito says, yes. Then we all got together to discuss the project, and none of us could come up with anything. So we, so we ended up eating tonkatsu and kept saying, what should we do? <laughs> and they came up with a fucking car. And he says, really? And then she says, I think that was when the car idea came up. And then he says, no, we weren't discussing anything like that at that point. And she says, really? The idea about the car came up fairly early. Mr. Ikahara was like, ha, ha, ha. He was giggling to himself. And he said, I just got a great idea. <laughs> uh, and then, but okay, so we can we can talk about this when we talk about the car bit. I, I, I'll, read, I'll just read this now because it's right here. He says, uh, so the moderator says, we got all the questions about this, but what's the meaning of the car at the end? What's the symbolism? Several people asked me to ask you about it. And he and he says, simple. I wanted a car. That's it. <laughs> and then, and then uh, the moderator asks, is there any symbolism behind it? And then he says, you know how boys name their new cars with a girl's name? And then Saito says, they do? Is that what they do? And then he says, what do Americans name their new cars? Something like Linda? <laughs> And then it's just like, I think it, de- I think it depends on the person. And he says, what else? Christy, maybe? And then, <laughs> uh, and, then, and then the moderator says, I named my car Sven back in the day. And then uh, Ikuhara says, Sven? Why'd you name it Sven? And he says, I owned a Volvo from Sweden. No, a Saab. That's why I named it Sven, after a Swedish name. Oh and then God, Ikuhara says, didn't you consider the car as your girlfriend? And then the moderator says, no, Sven's a guy. <laughs> And then Ikohara says, why? You enjoy riding a guy? And then the moderator says, at the time I named my car Sven. And then Ikohara says, are you gay? And then he says, no, I'm not. And then Ikohara says, being gay is fine. Jesus fucking Christ. What the fuck? What the fuck? All right, so adolescence of Utena. So, yeah, I mean, I, I guess I feel like we've we've covered pretty much the the end and like the meaning of the end uh, of the show pretty well. Cars. Uh, oh, you mean the show? Oh, the end of the show. Yeah, I, I just wanted to make sure that there wasn't anything else to cover with regards to the ending because I, I talked about yeah. like basically the fact that that it's about. Um, that I think that for me, the end of the show is about breaking free of, of oppressive power structures where Otori represents these oppressive power structures yeah. and that change yeah. is, it's impossible to change or for any positive. It's essentially, I mean, there's a great part in one of these interviews where uh, Ukohara talks about what revolution means. Mm-hmm. Um, and he talks about what, like, and they talk about, like, the Japanese student movement of the 1960s, which is very similar to the, uh, uh, which is very similar to, like, the student movements in the in the U.S. in the 1960s. Um, and he talks about how, like, in, how in, in 
in Japan, at the very least, the word revolution was very often used in the student movement and then became associated with the student movement and became this sort of very mm. cheesy word. And especially, and he talks, uh, I think, somewhere about how it became a word that was specifically associated with men and that he wanted to create a show about a revolutionary girl. Uh-huh. Um, and then he also talks about, he talks about the word romance um, and the word romantic. Uh, in I, I believe in the, the, the sex, sexuality queer sexuality interview uh he talks about the word romance and about how romance is let me see if i can find it yeah so he says you once said that utena is a girl who has a romance but that there's a difference between romance and romantic um and then he says romantic has become a world for girls and romance basically a word for men in short romantic is something that comes from the other like i'll make you into a princess or i'll arrange a wedding at a wonderful location it's a word which a prince will appear from and return into well romance is something like venturing into the trackless wilderness that kind of world um and then the other person in the interview, Katani, who's a sci-fi critic, um, right, says, even the words themselves are changed into a word for men and a word for women. And then he says, right. So what I think is interesting is that while Atena is a woman, she's venturing into an essentially male romance. I tried to translate that phrase, venturing into a romance, to venturing into the world. I stipulated that until now, there had never been a girl venturing into the world. And through the stages of the story, she becomes the first woman to discover the end of the world. I tried to think of a story where because she is the first adventurer of the world, she is also the first to know that despair. That was the very start of the project. Hmm. You know, but I, I, I find that that sort of aspect and, and it's, I don't know which. OK, yeah, it's in it's in this interview with uh, Yoshitani, the guy who wrote the um, the musical. Uh, and he says, personally, I always aim to surprise when making anime. My first impulse is to surprise rather than make a good anime. I wanted to surprise people. You could say that this desire to surprise is the starting point of my creative process. This desire to surprise was definitely largely inspired by Terayama. After the student movement, theater in the 70s suddenly changed. Theater changed from supporting the student movement to appearing to the general public. But Terayama refused to change, and this left a strong impression on me. Terayama used theater as a tool to communicate what he wanted to say. Lately, I started to think the reason he didn't change was because he was entertainment focused. I sensed that Terayama's style of theater was to link it to daily life during the student movement. Um, rather than igniting a revolution up on the boards of the stage, it was to create it by having the audience suddenly realize while watching the play that this is my story inciting a personal revolution. I was really drawn into this aspect. I was 10 years old when I saw his work and thought it might have begun because of my age. I thought, just who am I? And it was such a shock. That's what I want the audience to experience. I'd be pleased if while watching the characters, they think to themselves, ah, this is me, whether they're 10 years old, 20 years old, or 30 years old. Um, no, no older. No older, yeah. <laughs> if you're forty, fuck you. Yeah, you're Alex. You're on the. You're you're just barely. Oh fuck! I'm in, sh- I'm in. The, I'm in the. Just I'm barely in the club of people who can relate to revolutionary girl Tana. Well, clearly I didn't. So. Yeah, clearly you're too old. I'm trying to think because there's there's another part in here where he talks about like the different ways of conceptualizing revolution, and he he sort of talks about how like the sort of masculine or way of, of conceptualizing revolution is, is like everything has to change, you know, like, like this, this sort of imagining of, of revolution is sort of, uh, whereas like, and I, 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 he doesn't say this explicitly, but it's something that I think about, which is, is the way that like for, uh, he talks about how like for women, uh, the act of revolution is like, Oh, I'm going to take this part of my life and make it a little bit more comfortable, you know? Mm -hmm. Um, and one thing that I, that I definitely think about is the difference between, people who have a lot of privilege being able to conceptualize revolution and people who don't have a lot of privilege conceptualizing mm-hmm. revolution because people who don't have a lot of privilege conceptualizing revolution it's like a lot of your worries are a lot more present tense right yeah. like you know if you're you, you know like we can we can talk about you know these sort of grand dreams of you know socialist revolution or whatever but like if you're black you're worried about being killed by the police right now right you know right. and it and it becomes this sort of issue of like Yes, the revolution is good, and yes, the revolution is fine. But like, right, we can, we need to help people now. Yeah, and, um, and what you said earlier about kind of uh, revolution as kind of 
changing something in yourself. Uh, it reminds me of what you've talked about, about how like different ways of conceptualizing mental health in which like, like for people who aren't privileged, a lot of the reason why their mental health is bad is because of external yeah. material factors, not just kind of internally yeah. their kind of outlook or, or orientation yeah. towards the world. It's the world itself that is fucked. Yeah, I remember reading about, like, British uh, psychologists and, and mental health doctors coining the phrase shit life syndrome, where <laughs> basically, like, they seeing see and talking about how they see an increasing number of patients over the past like, decade or so, where they come in and it's like, all you can say to them is, fuck, dude, that sucks. Because, like, yeah. it's not like they have actually a mental disorder or anything like that that can be treated with medication. It's just that their life sucks. You know, and there's nothing that you can do about it. Except you know, and like revolutionize the world. Yeah, and it's like actually the problem that you have, like it's not your fault. Like going to therapy won't solve this because it's not your fault. You know. Yeah. But yeah, like like that to me, and 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 the way that Utena, because Utena doesn't necessarily, in terms of both of those definitions of revolution, like doesn't reject either of them. It sort of incorporates both of them. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, in, and yeah, because she, because yeah, killing the killing the cop in her head is kind of a yeah. is kind of that in that internal like um, self understanding yeah aspect of it. Um, and and like like the the other thing is is the way, and I think this sort of comes up more in adolescence, but the way that Utena, the, the way that like like for most of the other people on the campus. They, and this is something that, like, absolutely applies to real revolutionary movements, like the inability of people around you to see a future or any world that we could live in that is different from the one that we currently live in. Mm. Whereas Utena represents a sort of disruption to that because, like, she disrupts the existing power structure. She's a girl, but she plays sports and wears a boy's uniform. And, like, she is, she doesn't fit neatly into the existing categories, you know, which is why, like, the teachers yell at her and, like, and, and stuff like that. And she makes, but also people really like her like most of the students really like her because they're not they don't you know i think that it would be would have been very easy for this movie to make utena an outcast but instead for the show to make utena an outcast but instead utena is really popular and everybody likes her you know which reminds me of how like when you watch television news everybody talks about how nobody wants universal health care and then when you actually poll people everybody's like yeah that would be great if i didn't have to pay for health care that would be really cool right um yeah she's the silent majority is what you're saying no, she's not the silent majority. She's like the she's the vocal majority, you know. Or she's she is the person who is able to show other people that there's a diff, that, that mm-hmm. there's a different way yeah. of doing this, right? Yeah. That a better world is possible if only you can look at Utena. Yeah, um, you know, and like and like the ending of of Utena represents the or and especially adolescence um, sort of advocates for this more radical change. Um, you know that it's like you know it it acknowledges like the validity of these sort of smaller changes but points out that like until we escape the system entirely there can be no happiness you know anyway adolescence of utena um so this movie was made when when was adolescence it's released in 1989 oh it looks it looks very slick yeah it looks pretty good there are a couple this was presumably a very early anime to be using digital yeah, effects. there are a couple of shots in here that are done digitally, and they are very obvious. I was gonna say, like, they don't—they're not like as bad as I would expect. No, mostly but, like, they're I so think that's minimal. because, yeah, because early uses of CG were so much more conservative 
they usually end up being less obnoxious than even though modern CG, even though modern CG is like on paper better, it looks shittier because because people have gotten reckless with it. And yeah, like because like the thing that you see in fucking every anime is just like infinite shots of like like rotating shots around characters or around buildings and like these huge zooms yeah. and all this uh, doing all this stuff that's super hard with traditional animation and it's like you don't need to do all that stuff because the reason right. like the reason why a really cool like rotating shot is awesome in an old anime isn't because it's rotating it's because it's hard you know it's because <laughs> it looks impressive because it's hard to do because you have to redraw fucking everything every single frame yeah yeah you know like. Uh. And like, yeah, and that's another, like, I, I kind of earlier in this, I think in this recording we were talking about ad, ad, adapting. Um, yeah. And yet, now Ikuhara didn't want to be involved in the play because he wouldn't let it, it, his being too close to the original um, TV show would, would make it hard to be a good adaptation. Um, and that, and that, that made me think about kind of like, relative strength and weakness of a medium and how like a straight adaptation never works because it doesn't play to the strengths of the medium and yeah those like big cg rotating shots don't play to the strength of animation or no. like, traditional animation like they they, yeah. they, clash they just make it, it really obvious yeah you know like they're really obvious and flashy um, so like you know yeah. it reminds me of like what uh, Tony Zhao of Every Frame of Painting said about Michael Bay and Michael Bay's filmmaking and that like Michael Bay aims for maximum visual impact in every single scene which has the effect of none of the scenes have visual impact but it's really exhausting to watch <laughs> yeah so, like they're like a bit of CG as kind of a, as kind of a, as glues can work yeah like, if you have an idea for a scene that's like really difficult to do you know, traditionally, you know, because it's not just that digital animation looks bad. There are plenty of digitally animated shows that look nice, you know. Yeah, yeah. Like I brought up Nichijou earlier. Nichijou, you know, the kind of show came out like 2009, 2010. You know, it's clearly digitally animated, but it looks good, you know. Uh, but. But it's stuff like that fucking, like, fucking handheld shot, that fucking fake handheld shot in the third Ava rebuild, you know, where it's just like, why the fuck would you do this? Uh, I think I've blocked that out. <coughs> I think yeah. I've heard a lot of the third rebuild. Yeah, the third rebuild. There's this just like awful, just like hideous handheld shot of like the inside of their like airship thing, of like the uh, inside of the cockpit. Oh, when Shinji first like comes to or something. Yeah, yeah, around there. Yeah, when you first when we first see the cockpit, we see it through this like awful fake handheld shot. And it's like I know it's 2005, but you're an anime. You can't do a handheld camera. It's illegal. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Like I, I, yeah, I didn't really. Like, I I I saw and 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 registered the CG and it like let it let it pass by me. <laughs> you passed over in, me in, in adolescence. Yeah, in adolescence, like yeah, <laughs> it was minimal enough and non-invasive enough that, but it it was fine. Uh, so yeah, so adolescence Victoria, the first hour of it is more or less a retelling of the show, with but... every character given kind of like their characterization a weird obnoxious tweak yeah like yeah, i said so, before that like sayanji in the in the show he's like a well-written misogynist here he's a badly written misogynist yeah uh like yeah Utena, always, has, Utena has a fashy new outfit i like her hair though i hate her hair her hair is really? like complete garbage i hate her haircut is so fucking whack 
It looks so much like she just uh, she her because it's clear that her face was designed with her original haircut in mind, Um, and so when she has this short hair, it's just like she looks like she's trying too hard to look like a lesbian. Like with the outfit and the hair, it's like you can cool it a little bit. Like you don't have, like you don't have to be butch to be a lesbian. Oh dear. Uh, yeah, part, like part of the characterization stuff is that it's it's so much shorter. They have to like kind of like yeah. concentrate these things. So like Shiori is just like pure vindictive bitch. Kozue uh, is just like Yandere. Uh, yeah. Incest. But then, then, then we get into some weirder changes. So Toga's character is basically completely recharacterized. Yeah, and like I think that was in the manga, the adolescence manga. But like instead of him being, yeah, he's kind of like this kind of like one note sociopath. He and Utena have like a history, like they were dating yeah. at one point. Yeah, it's bad. Uh, it's yeah, like like it's fine that that characterization is is fine but not for tuka yeah <laughs> like it like like in isolation whatever this being what it is it that just it was just so infuriating um yeah it's it's such a fucking it's such a weird it's such a weird choice and they they yeah. also make other weird choices like they make anthe and akio's skin lighter oh right they do yeah i as soon as i saw that i got really pissed um and the, one of the biggest changes is to Akio, who is barely in this movie. And one of the only scenes that he's in this movie is he jumps out of a window because he can't find his car keys. Yeah, that was... And then com- dies. Yeah, what the, Like, what, yeah. And also stabs Anthony in the process. Yeah, that was... That's how... Just, that's, that's what happens in this movie. Just completely... What the like, fuck? Yeah. So like, yeah, so like, it's like it's one thing for Anthony to have long hair. Fine, we, we can do that. But yeah, then then all of a sudden, like Kane is his. You might have forgotten her. She's his fiance. Is yeah, like scream crying over a coffin. And it's like, wait, Akio is dead. Yeah, he died. And then we get a flashback where he's running around. He, he talks about how a car, if you don't drive it, it turns to rust or whatever. <laughs> And then he's panicking because he can't find his car keys, stabs Anthe, and then jumps out of the window and dies. It's the stupidest shit ever. It's so fucking dumb. It's incredible. <laughs> it's, it's, oh my god. It's out of control. Um, yeah. So from there, the rest of the anime plot can't really happen anymore. Um, also, like, they make a bunch of other changes, like, the layout of the school is completely different. It looks like the fucking high school from Kill a Kill is what it looks like now. Like, uh, the impossible architecture, like, it, that was, like, visually, it's alright. Like, yeah, it looks, I mean, like, I'm not against the re- the school redesign, I think it looks right. cool. But, uh, I, I also, but it, 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 it it's very different, like, it, it's much less sort of leaning into the sort of Rose of Versailles. Right, that, it's, yeah, it's know. much more. Like, it, it very much, like, it, that's the number one thing that it reminds me of is the high school from Kill a Kill. Which yeah, is, is a weird, which is a weird look for Utena. Um, yeah, it's much more like modernist. Uh, uh, yeah, not me, yeah. not modernist, but modern. I'm not yeah. sure what much more modern what, looking. What 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 period of architecture? Well, because the other thing about it is that it, it all looks unfinished. You know, like the school looks. Mm. It, it's like all You're these right, platforms yeah. and stuff. They, they all look like they're in a constant state of construction. And like the dueling platform is so like minimal it's got it's got like this like almost like a little rope bridge it's yeah it's unfinished as well yeah and it's covered in roses now 
Yeah. Um, and the roses. And... We haven't really talked much about roses. So. <laughs> I'm kidding. <laughs> um. Yeah, we, rose. It's got it's covered in roses now. Um, and then there are some scenes where they don't even duel there. Like Anthe, when 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 Utena duels with Jerry, they're just like on some like catwalk somewhere. Oh yeah. Um, it's yeah. Like there are all of these like weird tiny changes that I, I don't understand. <laughs> uh, but it, it mostly sticks. It sticks pretty closely to the plot of Utena, but without any of the fun or interesting parts. Yeah, yeah. It's it's just, it's just it's basically just back to back duels with occasional in between parts. Like the only good part in this whole section, apart from apart from Akio losing his car keys, uh, is <laughs> is the part where where Anthe and Utena have to draw each other for their their drawing class. And we talked about this earlier about how how Utena draws Anthe, and then Anthe is like, "I'm not going to draw you unless you strip naked." And so she's like, "Fine." And then she strips naked, and she's like, "This is really embarrassing." If I'm the only one naked, and then Anthe says, fine, and then she strips naked, and then there's the sound of a jet engine revving up in the background as Utena gets hornier and hornier. Because that is one thing about this show, is that it, about this movie, is that it is much... The 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 homosexuality between Utena and Anthe is explicit. Yeah, like... Uh, like, like li- in the first like, scene where they meet, they literally kiss. Yeah, because like, that, yeah, that's how... Because uh, like in the anime, uh, Utena is fighting Sayanji. She has a wooden stick. He has a sword, and it breaks. Here, instead of having her win anyway with half a piece of stick, uh, Anthe smooches her and, and pulls actually, out a real sword yeah. for her to use. And that's actually I actually like that change. I think it gives Anthe more agency oh, and makes her character. Yeah, I mean, a- yeah, Anthe has much more agency. Like this movie is so short that like we don't I. Like I didn't feel like we got it wasn't enough pro- re- real real development character development between them anyway. But like if if they had if they had put this much effort into their into Anthe being at like a, a character with like agency and personality, like I might have actually connected with her anime version. All right, so we that's pretty much all you need to know about the first hour of Adolescence of Atena. There's nothing. There's nothing interesting in it, uh, but there's 20 minutes left in the movie, oh, and baby. so we get to the point where where Utena has won all of the duels, and she's going to go, uh, and she's she's planning on going to the door to find the to open the rose door, and then she she looks to Anthony and says, "Actually, fuck this, we're going to the outside world. You know, I don't need this place anymore." This is the first time the outside world has been mentioned. This sucks. Hit the bricks. If it sucks, hit the bricks. And so then uh, a bunch of car wash bristles appear and then eat Utena. Mm-hmm. And then true. she that turns happens. and then and this just happens out of nowhere. There is no setup. There is no foreshadowing. There is no anything. This just happens. And Auntie washes in horror as this car wash turns Utena into a car. Into a car. Into a car. Into a car. And, and, and there's foreshadowing. Earlier, when Akio said a car without a key starts rusting, because it starts what rusting do you know? Utena car starts rusting. I mean, the big, big lumpy tumors of rust. And then Anthony gets in the her. car, and then it's Anthony has the key. Anthony has the key to make Utena not rust. Get it? And then, yeah, I don't. Uh, and then she gets in the car, <laughs> and then it's initial D for the rest of the movie. <laughs> it's what? It's an initial D. It's an anime it's, about car racing. Oh, it's Fast and the Furious, the anime, basically. 
Oh. And so, yeah, it's initial D for the rest of it. And so then they're they're driving on the highway to try to get to the outside world. And then the, mo- the only thing that I knew about Utena is that this happened in it, which is that Shiori it pulls up a car. Well, a purple car pulls up next to Anthe driving Utena. And the purple car speaks with Shiori's voice and says, it's a big mistake to think you're the only one who can turn into a car. I'm a car now, too. TFW, you assume you're the only one who can turn into a car. And I... Holy shit. But, but what I want to know is why the hell can she... Aunt, Utena needs Anthe to drive her, but Shiori can just drive herself. Shiori is a self-made woman. <laughs> um, and so they get into like a fucking car race initial D ass fight, knocking each other back and forth. And then they're saved because you know who else can turn into a car? Wakaba. Wakaba! Our girl turns into a fucking neon green jeep. Yeah, with Niki and with Niki and Jury driving it, and Sanji in the back. And yeah, <laughs> and they're no all reason. with the power of friendship. God. Uh, yeah, th- yeah. When they when they all showed up with the power of friendship, I just wrote my entire ass. Yeah, <laughs> in my notes. Uh, and then there's this weird sequence where they're like driving through like a bunch of gears and the prince is like telling them to go back because they don't want to see the end of the world and the car almost gets crushed and then the car like the exterior of the car gets they they decide to leave and then they force their way out and Anthony like slams on the gas I don't think that this is how cars work um, and then they, they drive out of the fucking gear crusher <laughs> they, thing they drive through Akio they drive through Akio and then out into the outside world and then suddenly it's the the uh, extra, Utena turns back from a car into a real person. It's like ju- they just it's just just them on like the drivetrain. It's them naked like riding a, like a motorcycle into the wasteland, and then they start making out, and then the movie ends. <laughs> and... God, <laughs> fucking Christ! I mean, I appreciate how gay it is. I like that's the thing. Like you have to like really fuck it up for me not to be like all over that shit yeah because like they're like this movie ends with two girls making out naked on like a motorcycle or a, like the the chassis of a car um and they talk about how they're headed into a world without roads um but they and, can make their own roads and they can make their own roads where we're going we don't need roads um you know which is a metaphor for escaping you know the oppressive power structures of Atori academy and uh, I'm looking at the screenshots now. I forgot how I forgot how nude they were. Yeah, right. They're like, so nude. They're, they're, but, there's there like it's the like the rule apparently is that like as long as you don't have nipples, you're as good. long as you don't draw the nipples on. Yeah, like they look like they look like Barbie dolls. Uh-huh. It's very strange. I like it would be less weird if they had nipples. Yeah, yeah. But yeah, so that's that's adolescence of Utena. Like, that is what I imagine is. you probably have more thoughts on it than i do not really like yeah the funny thing was like yeah like last night i watched like the end of utena and like i was so like sick of it that like yeah like i was saying before like even though like i intellectually like oh like 38 and 39 are like decent capstone episodes like i just didn't have any capacity to care and so this morning i was like 
with 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 a bit of with bit of some sleep and some, some time to reflect, I was I was feeling feeling a little more a little more a little more um, positive towards the whole deal, thinking about eggs and and whatnot. And then adolescence, just all the like the weird, obnoxious tweaks, like Sionji being being such a so much flatter of a character. Yeah, like it just like, feels like what they should have sh- done was done the end of Ava and made an alternative ending to the show because that's probably right. what they were interested in. Yeah, you and know, like, like, and there's it, a reason why End of Ava doesn't waste time retelling the entire fucking story right, of Ava. It right. just starts at the end, and it's like, okay, right. if you watch End of Ava and you don't know who these people are, you're going to be confused. But you're not the target demographic. You know, mm-hmm. like mm-hmm. I like clearly the thing that they were interested in doing was having the alternate ending with the car. And I just wish that they had just gone all in on that. And it, instead yeah, of just, just like 90 minutes of car racing. Yeah. Instead just of just don't shoving even, it. Don't even transform a, it. Just like just jump right in their their cars. That's the frame in which the movie takes place. And, I, I, okay, yeah, that might just, be a little too much. <laughs> <laughs> no, it, all or nothing. Um, but like, just instead of just like shoving this bizarre twenty minutes, that was clearly the only part of the movie you gave a shit about at the end. Right, right. Like, yeah, like, you know. yeah. And like, like I just... get, because the thing is, is that it's weird, but I get it. Like, I understand what they're doing with the car section. Um, you know, because I mean, one Utena becomes literally becomes the vehicle by which Anthea escapes her circumstances. Um, which, which is a, which is a weird thing because like. Like the whole thing that the whole thing that like Otena's whole thing is realizing she doesn't need a prince for herself, and then now for Anthe to need a prince in turn. But the thing is, is that Anthe doesn't need a prince; she needs a car. <laughs> you know, and I, th- and I, but I do, I do think it's meaningfully different because it gives Anthe agency in the situation. She does; she is driving the car. It's you know, she li- she's literally driving the car, and like I think that that the fact that they can't go it alone is not. Um, you oh know, no! I wasn't. I wasn't. Say, I wasn't saying like it needs to be like any sort of individual. Like we we, yeah. we dealt with a- Ayn Rand in the Black Rose. <laughs> like we, that that's been put to bed. Yeah. So it's it's neither of them can go it alone. And but it, I like to a certain extent this ending more because it gives Uten or it gives Anthe more agency over the situation. It does. It's not just Anthe save. It doesn't yeah. Uten saving a damsel in distress. It's Anthe mm-hmm. sort of actively choosing to be her own salvation with the help of Utena. Yeah. That's, um, a, that's a good point. You know, no. Yeah. Yeah. Like, and, and like we were talking earlier about that, the characterization, like Ut- Anthe is a much more likable and real character. Uh, in adolescence it's just that it's so short and everything else sucks so hard that it doesn't really like yeah she it it, it doesn't really have time to work well Well, there's there's not much else to say about adolescence every time it's a very short movie (sighs) yep with not a lot going on um I wish it wasn't that way because we deserve because I I think Utena deserves something as good as End of Ava. Oh yeah, like I I I like you didn't really give away much of your like feelings about the movie going in, so I was hopeful that it would be like an an End of Ava sort of thing that would. No, that's like no. When going in. I was one hundred percent ready to like Adolescent Utena even more than I like the show because I was hoping that it would just be a streamlined version of the show with just, every without things that I didn't like. But instead, it was a streamlined yeah. version of the show with only the things that I disliked. Yeah, it could have been a better, gayer version. Instead, it was a worse, gayer version. Yeah, <laughs> you know, and like you know, you win some, you lose some. It is gayer, uh, which I'll take my victories where I can get them. Yeah, uh, I guess. You know, like I, I, I won't lie. 
I really liked the bit at the end where they were making out on the motorcycle. Like, it's cool, you know? Like, sure. It's neat. It's neat. It's really gay. It's, it's I sweet. Think it's ne- uh, I think it's neat. Uh, you know, but like, would I have preferred something more? Sure. Uh, anyway, Alex, do you have a book to recommend? I guess I do. It's like, I, I'm still kind of slowly, slowly working through this the stuff that I'm reading so I don't have anything I haven't finished anything recently but so I'll recommend something extremely silly that has only kind of a tenuous connection uh, which is Gideon the Ninth I think I've talked about it before it's this completely batshit like sci-fi sort of sci-fi slash fantasy about like bone wizards in the future (laughs) Uh, and so it's like Gideon is this extremely gay. She's 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 actually she's pure himbo. <laughs> like I I I didn't I was I wasn't really getting into like into like the whole himbo classification when I read it um, at the end of last year. But yeah, she's just she's just a hundred percent. And so she's like um, is. Uh, works for is trapped by um this this house of necromancers and the daughter of the house basically conscripts is her like childhood enemy and like the the daughter of the house conscripts her to go to uh like the planet of the emperor of the universe i don't know something it's like the whole thing is completely over the top over the top and insane um and fight a bunch of other heads of houses for something it's not important the point is it's just a bunch of like extremely nonsensical hijinks um involved a lot of skeletons and blood and gay shit uh it's very funny very very ridiculous um but there's a there's a bit near the end when um Gideon and her, her somewhat kind of homoerotic enemy, the the head of the house, uh, they have like their heart to heart, and the other girl, Harrow, uh, reveals that like uh, when she was young, she like crept into like the sealed tomb in her in, in like the houses in the center of the house and uh, where no one was supposed to go, and there was like a girl there like frozen in a in like a coffin. And she decided then there to, to to live forever, so she would be around when this girl woke up. And I was like, "Hey, it's the Rose Bride," <laughs> and that's 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 the only connection. It's 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 an extremely silly, fun, but it's great. It's fun. Whatever. Your turn. All right. I guess I'll recommend this because uh, I read it fairly recently, and it's good, and it's marginally related in the sense that it's gay. Uh, I'm gonna recommend Little Fish by Casey Plett. I don't. It's been a, it's been a while since I read this, uh, so I don't remember it in great detail. But it is a book about a bunch of thirty-something uh, trans women in Manitoba, just like kicking it. Actually, not just like kicking it. It's it's actually a really sad book. It's it's uh, like the sort of core plot of it is is this woman discovering that her late grandfather might have been uh might have been transgender Ah. um but 
that plot sort of fall falls away uh, next to a lot of the sort of other stuff that happens in the book, but I kind of don't want to spoil, I guess. There's some yeah. surprises in here. It's a... Uh, it reminds me of... I mean, it's, it reminds me of Devada in a lot of ways. It reminds me of Catcher in the Rye in a lot of ways, in that it's mostly a novel with... It's it's a novel that's less... It's interesting in that it's sort of a, a building's roman or a, like, coming-of-age story about somebody who's already an adult. Um, mm. You know, it is... You know, or or it it, it has a sort of building storm on structure, and that it's mostly about it's mostly just sort of a series of of unconnected vignettes revolving around a series of like some themes. Um, but it's and it's it's about coming into one's own, and it, it, it sort of tackles sort of the idea of it. it but it's it's sort of not even really about coming into one's own as a, a, a like as a trans person as an adult, um, because this person has already known that they were trans and has been transitioning for years. Like, mm-hmm. but it's still this sort of, you know, it still has the buildings Roman structure in that it's it's interested in, uh, yeah, it's interested in sort of continuous personal growth or something like that. Cool. Uh, yeah, I've read I've some of her short stories, but not that. Uh, but yeah, so that's that's Little Fish by Casey Plett. Um, so I get to choose what we're watching next month, um, and I'm going to give us both a break, uh, a much needed break, <laughs> and we're going to watch Kids on the Slope. All right. Um, so, Kids on the Slope is an anime tailor made for me, in that it is a Shinichiro Watanabe anime about jazz. So we're not uh, doing we're not doing a whole dedicated Watanabe block. I nah, guess. I just think that would be boring. I, I think that would be too hard. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so yeah, so we're gonna watch Kids on the Slope, um, which is uh, so I, I did some looking into it to make sure that it was something that we would want to watch uh, for the podcast that it would have something to talk about, and I think it totally is because it is it is an anime about jazz and Catholicism. Hell yeah! Uh, it's only twelve episodes. Two so things I don't really understand. <laughs> uh, well, you can read about Catholicism, and I already know about jazz, so and then we'll have all the bases covered. Uh, so yeah, I'm very for those of you listeners who don't know, big jazz nerd here. Uh, so uh, it's only twelve episodes. It seems to be pretty light and fun, um, but with some some chewy themes that we can bite into. Uh, so that's. That's what we'll be watching next month. Kids on the Slope. Uh, directed yeah. by Chinichiro Watanabe. I don't know the production company. I'll look, I'll look it up later. Uh, so, Alex, where can people find you on the internet? Oof, let's see. I retweet things. Done, uh, done, done. That's D-U-N-N three times. I, don't, I hardly write original tweets anymore. All my, all my bad posts are on Mastodon, which is... Catalina at selfie.army selfie with a Y I stream sometimes on trash.cloud uh, what are you Cass? Uh, you can find me on twitter at profit underscore goddess you can find me on Mastodon at profit underscore goddess you can find me on Mastodon at profit underscore goddess at skeleton dot cool you can find me on twitch at twitch.tv slash profit underscore goddess and you can buy video games that i've made at profitgoddess.itch.io no underscore and uh you can find the show on twitter at animated for jerks you can find the show on mastodon at animated for jerks at skeleton.cool we did not receive any emails this month uh but we did well we didn't receive any emails from real people but we did receive and i do want to share this in the pod we did receive i received three copies of this email from the same person um with different with different dates in the uh 
in the in the header. So this says the, the subject matter letter, line of this is newsletter dated twenty oh five twenty nine. A date that you will note does not make sense. Uh, <laughs> that's our commentary on the date, not the. That's our com- uh, That was in the email. Uh, and then the the note the email says uh, it's got a quotation mark with an asterisk and then a quotation mark and then in parentheses it says surprisingly high caliber. And then another quotation mark with an asterisk and then a quotation mark. And then it says, to you, the most wonderful novels written by Dan Brown, which are one, The Da Vinci Code, two, Angels and Demons, three, The Lost Symbol, four, Inferno. And then with two asterisks around it, like it's trying to make it bold and marked down, it says, these novels are among the best novels of police fiction that are completely unparalleled. To download <laughs> these novels at once, click on the link in the description box for the following video. And then it gives me a link to rumble.com. Uh, so some things to note about this is that one uh those are every book written by dan brown not just the most wonderful novels written by dan brown that's his complete bibliography um Mm. as far as i know (laughs) and secondly uh they aren't police fiction they're conspiracy thrillers Mm. um so yeah i received this same email three times we receive uh, a, a an incredible amount of spam because we have a public email address actually not that less spam than i would have expected uh, a lot of just like bank scams, uh, a, an email uh, from somebody claiming to be named Lo Tech Jo, a Malaysian businessman who is, quote, writing to know if you are still using this email address and is, quote, interested in discussing mutual cooperation with you. Uh, uh, we've, uh, we, we need guests. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and then I got another another email. Uh, from a, someone claiming to be Mr. Suovo Sarkar, who says that, uh, we can contact somebody by the name of David Livingstone to get him to send me a Visa ATM card for $3 million. Oh. Uh, anyway. Uh, but yeah, if you have any extremely lucrative uh, bank scams to send us, you can contact us at animeisforjerks at gmail.com, uh, which I strongly recommend you do because we'll basically read literally anything you send to our inbox because we never get emails. Uh, so, thanks everybody for watching. Uh, and we, on a, on a stream the other day, we decided on a new, uh, ending, ending slogan for the show. Uh, so remember everyone, the map is not the territory.